And we are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview. And this week we're previewing two tracks, Darlington Raceway and Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to go through our, our agenda for tonight. First, we're going to preview the Arca East Race, finally, out at Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. And then at 8.40, our guest, LeVar Scott, joins us from Rev Racing and the Drive for Diversity program. At the top of the hour, we'll get into the Truck Series uh, preview at Darlington, uh, as well as about uh, 20 minutes later, the Xfinity Series at Darlington. And in our third half hour, it'll be the Cup Series at Darlington preview. 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sounds Off with our Fan for Racing crew, and uh, definitely always look forward to that. So welcome, welcome uh, now, uh, Jay Huseman, our co-host for tonight. Welcome, Jay. <clears throat> Thank you, Sharon. Super excited, like you said. Finally, uh, been talking kind of about the E-Series uh, coming up. Finally get to do the, the preview for it uh, weekend prior, or the Thursday night prior, as they run this weekend. Super excited about that as well as then the triple header at Darlington for the Cup Series Top 3 Touring Series. Yes, indeed. We've only got uh, less than eight minutes for our preview for the ARCA East Series at Nashville Fairgrounds, so we'll get right into it. It is uh, Saturday, May the 8th at 8.30 p.m. Central, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be live-streamed on Track Pass for NBC Sports Gold members. Uh, and the delayed broadcast is actually going to be on Thursday, May the 13th at 1 p.m. Just double-check your local listings in case there's any differences there. Uh, there's also the radio at arcaracing.com. Uh, it's a 0.596-mile paved oval, 200 laps, 119 miles, and uh, this, the Music City 200 has been long awaited by all of these drivers in the ARCA East. Well, and I think across the ARCA series as well as NASCAR, because I, I do believe this is kind of that stepping stone or testing ground for the fairgrounds of what they will uh, be able to take on when it comes to any kind of NASCAR races. So we're starting with the ARCA Menards East series, but I think it could lead to bigger, better things down the road. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's not the first time they've raced there, but we'll see what happens uh, as uh, they race this weekend. Now, uh, this is the third of eight races in the series this season, and uh, we'll finally get to see how this uh, falls into place. Right now, Sammy Smith is at the top of the uh, uh, point standings, uh, but we'll find out who's going to contend with him for that series championship. So this is going to be a pivotal race at Nashville Fairgrounds this weekend. It is, and I was scanning down the entry list. I don't even think they have a substitute. They must have withdrawn. Uh, I did see earlier this week, I know I said we'd find out, Taylor Gray will not be racing this week. Uh, he's second in points, so going to split between those two winners, uh, first and third. He will not be racing this weekend. I say I don't see that car entered at all. Ty Gibbs is on that entry list because he is probably going to be a very top, top contender this weekend for Sammy Smith. Oh, I didn't see Ty Gibbs on there either. <laughs> 
Hmm. Oh, okay. Where, uh, where he's driving, get- actually. He's driving that number 18 Joe Gibbs racing car for Ty Gibbs. So you know that car is going to be strong. Oh, I got you. Okay, yeah. The car uh, that Ty Gibbs most cer- races. Most certainly, uh, and we've seen that in the first two races, two top fives and a win already for Sammy Smith. And he is your points leader by eight points over Taylor Gray. And I mentioned he's not going to be there this weekend. But then third place, you got Max Gutierrez also with the win, but only one top five puts him nine points uh, back in the standings. Exactly. Uh, the driver who uh, ranks uh, Second, Taylor Gray, of course, is not racing. As you mentioned, he had that streetcar injury uh, that he's still recovering from. But Mason Diaz, Joey Ice, Daniel Dye, Parker Retzlaff, Raja Karuth, uh, third through eighth, those guys are all going to be uh, contending. They are, and this is going to be so interesting to see if the, if the top guys separate themselves or we see them bunch up even closer because just running through there, you ran through eighth place. is only 20-point separation so far in the two races. Uh, again, that could either tighten up or expand. We'll have to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's going to be a fun race to watch. Uh, Wayne Peterson, of course, in this race, along with Brad Smith, uh, Carson Cavapo, uh, Connor Jones, Stephanie Moyer, Mason Mingus, Dick Delhaney, uh, just a few of the drivers that we have not yet mentioned, all racing this weekend out at uh, Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. Well, and one I'd like to hit on, if you're not familiar with him, the number 11, Mason Mingus from Nashville, Tennessee. And I have seen him run some uh, super late model races in that area as well as Alabama and Georgia, yeah, there's one that could be tough to beat right there at the fairgrounds. Yes, and I'm sure that's why they have him entered in that number 11. Uh, this, will be, this, of course, is a home track for him. He, his hometown is Nashville, Tennessee. So uh, I think you're right. I think he's going to be a very strong uh, contender this weekend out there uh, at, the, at the fairgrounds. Uh, just a programming note, Mason Diaz is actually scheduled uh, as our guest for next Thursday night at 8.40 p.m. So we'll look forward to uh, chatting with him about uh, the race at Nashville. And then their next race after Nashville uh, is actually going to be at Dover International Speedway on May the 14th. So uh, we'll be able to kind of catch him in between those two races. I was going to say, hopefully we, we get to talk to him as the third different winner in three races. We'll have to see if that comes to fruition. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, now uh, we do have a guest that is coming up here at uh, 840. LeVar Scott is with Rev Racing, and he's part of the uh, Drive for Diversity program. And uh, he has uh, been racing in the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series with Rev Racing. And uh, I saw on social media today that he's been out there practicing today at Hickory Speedway, which is where their next race is this coming Saturday. So uh, just a shout-out for that race. If anybody uh, is in that area 
you'll want to get out to Hickory Speedway and uh, check out the race with the, the Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Touring Series. Uh, there's a lot of really up-and-coming drivers that will be on track and racing that event. And LeVar Scott, of course, is one of those. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, that's one of those. Of, uh, talk about a bucket list when it comes to your short track grassroots racing, especially when it comes to, as you mentioned, the up-and-coming drivers. You know, we talk about we cover the Arkham and Ards East and West Series and know these guys before they get to the cup level or, or that far up. Uh, you're talking about knowing them before they even get into the ARCA, Arca Series. So uh, some great yeah. tracks there. I know Bowman Gray is another one in that area I would love to visit. Yes, these guys are um, uh, really, this is the grassroots racing that everybody really loves and talks about and and they all want to be a part of. So uh, this is your chance out at Hickory Speedway. They race out there, I believe, close to every week, if not every week. And uh, they do a good job out there at Hickory. And it's one of the storied tracks here in uh within nascar speedway so uh uh it's a really good chance for fans to get out there to the track and and see these uh uh drivers from rub racing out there on the track uh and what they can do yeah you talk about the history of the burtons uh the earnharts that, that ran there as they came up through the ranks and was part of i think i believe the xfinity series actually ran there at one time if i'm not mistaken back when it was still the bush series uh, so a lot of history to that track, and, and that's one of the reasons I say it is definitely on my bucket list. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, we'll definitely look forward to that. Just some background on uh, a little bit of background on uh, Lavar Scott in 1920. I'm sorry, in 2020. Uh, in 2020, he earned four top tens, one top five in the summer shootout at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, he finished third in points in the 600 micro class in September of 2018, winning the first. He also won the first airport speedway in the 600 micro class of May in 2018, the first Hamlin, uh, Pennsylvania in the 600 micro, micro first win in June of 2016, and he's racing the Tulsa shootout in Oklahoma as early as the age of 12 in December of 2015. This is his second year with the Rev Racing and the Drive for Diversity program. So he is here now. So first of all, uh, LaVar, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time to be here today. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. It's going to be an awesome time. Well, we're definitely looking forward to it. I saw earlier that you were out at Hickory Speedway this weekend, or today, as a matter of fact. You're out at Hickory Speedway today uh, taking care of some practice uh, for the race that's coming up this Saturday. Tell us about your practice session. Yeah, practice was great. We unloaded with a good car. First session, the car was, was fast, really fast. I want to make some adjustments. I was pretty free coming out, so we made some adjustments to try to tighten the car up, which we tightened the whole car up. And then we went out for a second session, but we ended up going back from the setup and they started baseline setup and messed with the front end a little bit. And after that, the car was just a rocket. But we just got to work on okay. our qualifying, our Mach 1 a little bit for qualifying, and then we'll be good. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, it sounds like you know exactly what needs to be done. Uh, LaVar, that's one of the questions I have. Way. As part of Reb Racing and the Drive for Diversity program, how involved with the car do you get uh, at Reb Racing? We're pretty – all the drivers are actually pretty involved. Like on um, Monday, we all go to the shop, clean our cars after the race. We clean them. We had a career uh, one of the workers, Glenn, he makes sure our cars have, like, are clean. Like, he goes through it with a uh, flashlight and everything, so it has to be spotless. And then we take tires off, take the shocks off, help the guys that we can help with. Sometimes the cars might be damaged, so we got to take all the fenders off, like the quarter panel and skirts and all that stuff. So the drivers are pretty pretty involved. But the only things you don't get involved with really are, like, the setup. Like, when the guys are putting, like, the setups and making different changes, changes to everything, we try to stay as far back as possible, let them think. You know what I mean? Right, right, I got you. And and that kind of leads into what my next question was going to be, but you kind of already answered it there. Uh, (laughs) Does that help you any when it comes to the setup or making adjustments? Do you get an adjustment break during your races? No, we don't get a break during races, but we have, like, practice and then qualifying, so we can make adjustments before then. But I think just being on your car and, like, listening to what different things are, and how different things work in your car is going to ultimately give better feedback to the to the guys to know what changes to make. And the more you work with your guys, oh. the more you know what type of changes you you like and what type of changes won't work for you. So I just think just knowing your car and knowing, hey man, can we try put it put it do a track bar adjustments or do something, put a turn here, and different things like that. I think that overall helps a ton. Okay. Uh, this is your second season, I believe, with Rev Racing. Uh, can you tell us a little something about your first year with them and and how that is relating to your second year at Rev Racing? The first year was great. It was awesome. Uh, uh, we started off at Charlotte at the uh, Charlotte um, Charlotte Legend Road Course. We're not the road course; it's the oval. We started started there, and the beginning of the season we were towards the back of the pack for a little bit, and then as the season went on, we got faster and faster, and I got a couple top tens. I finished seventh once. And overall, just, I got to I got to learn all the guys, you know, and we came really close, like Kendall and Booker. I'm really close with them guys. I love them a lot. And then towards the end, we just went to different tracks like Anderson and uh, the fifth mile behind Charlotte. I finished second there twice, and then Anderson started, like, 15th and drove to eighth. So as it, it really showed a lot how much you improve as a driver throughout the season. It was awesome. I think, and that helped a lot leading to the season just with being close to the guys and the guys know how you drive and know what you like for adjustment wise and changes. So yeah, I think that helped a lot last year. Yeah, that does help when when your team knows you and and you know the team. Uh, I think there's yeah. some gelling that takes place there, and that that's really really good. Okay, now our co-host is with us tonight as well, LaVar, so I'm going to pass the baton over to him, and I know Jay has some questions for you as well. Okay, awesome. Well, while you guys were talking there, uh, it wasn't on my list of questions, but it, one came to mind there. You talked about you kind of took a step back when they're, when they're doing the setups. Being that Rev yeah. Racing and the program they do in bringing in young drivers and new drivers to the sport – do they kind of have a standard setup that they feel is, is good for a, a new incoming driver, especially when you talk about the different backgrounds, you coming from micro sprints that they have to start with, and then you said in your second year now you're getting to know and they know what you like and adjusting it to that? Yeah, 
we all have like a like we all all cars are go to the track has a base setup. Like everybody has the same setup going to the track. But different drivers, all different drivers, different cars, like you can have the car made exactly the same, but still something's gonna be different. So cars are different, drivers are different. So as a track we do different adjustments. Like me and Roger, we have different different type of setup in our cars after we go out for practice three times, me and Isabella. Everybody's different. But our base like our baseline setup when we go to the track is completely the same really. With with that going going to your background of the of the the sprint, what is it you feel you bring differently or looking for in a stock car? And I realize some of it you might have to adjust that hey you can't do with the stock car you can with the sprint. But <laughs> yeah. what what are yeah. things you still look for that that lean back to the sprint car style? Just to drive how much how hard you have to drive the car to be fast, and I think that's what I'm that's what I love doing. Like I love trying to push a car to its limits, like in dirt racing. When the track has grip in it, like you have to push it to the limit, so you're not you're not going to be fast at all. And that's that's what I think I like about late models. Is sometimes the last the last ten fifteen laps, like you have to, like especially like for a twin race, the last fifteen laps, the second twin, you really have to push it, or or you can give it and see where it goes. But that's what I like the most about the transition. All right, and my last question here is: is I came out of Minnesota when I came down here to uh, to Mississippi. So I know there's racing everywhere, but especially, mm-hmm. uh, and you're from New Jersey originally, I know we've had some uh, yeah. scattered drivers there, Martin Truex from up in that area back in the day, Ricky Craven from the New England area. But what's it like coming into uh, Carolina now where you're in the heart of NASCAR? We talked about some of the tracks you're going to, the history of NASCAR at these tracks that you get to be a part of now. I think the biggest thing, and I talk about this all the time, like in New Jersey, if I ever, ever see a race car like riding down the road or, or racing trailer down the road like I'd go crazy like oh my god this guy races too and coming to the, coming to North Carolina you gotta really transition because everybody here races every we go into firehouse subs you're next to people that work at Hendrix or Hendrix or driver uh two weeks ago I walked into um Viva Chicken and Corey LeJoy was sitting right next to me so I just think the biggest thing is everywhere you go it's racing 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 that's a, that's what I found. I, I, I was in the Air Force, and yeah, I got stationed down here, and they're like, oh, you might not like it. I'm like, I'm very content, you know, so I was pretty happy about it. But, yeah, yeah. just the culture change, like you said, uh, of, you're right, it's everybody is involved in it one way or another. Yep. Yep. You, you drive down a road, uh, you see race cars outside parked. It's crazy. Well, I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon here for, for a couple more before uh, we're done with this. Okay, LaVar. Uh, you're part of the Drive for Diversity team, and, and part part of being a part of Rev Racing is you have to go through a com- combine every year. So other drivers uh, that are thinking about uh, maybe going through that program, what would be your advice to them? Just try your hardest, especially if you get a chance to and always be yourself and don't on social media, be yourself. Don't act a different way or, or be somebody you're not. But if you ever get a chance to actually go to the combine, you have to. My biggest thing was um, media. Like I was, I'm not, I'm not the best at media marketing. So that was my biggest thing was just learn how to be up with myself and talk on, the, talk on the mic and talk on camera. And when you get a chance to actually drive for the in the combine, you just have to. It's that's your chance. You have to drive and drive, drive your heart out. That's my biggest is that's my biggest advice right there is just drive your heart out. Exactly, that focus and, and, and everything else. Now, what, you know, obviously 
Uh, the Drive for Diversity gives you a chance to race with it, Rev Racing. And there's so many other drivers that have come up through that program, uh, including Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace and and uh, those are the two that <laughs> jump into my mind right away. Yeah. Uh, do you ever get a chance to talk to them? Um, not on, not I don't I never talked to him before, but I see I see him before like I've seen Kyle Larson and Bob Wallace two weeks ago at Millbridge Speedway in uh, Salisbury. I see I see them quite often, but I never really had a chance to talk to them or have a conversation with them. They're always busy. Like when Kyle Larson goes to Millbridge, he's always working on someone's car, helping someone out. So I don't ever want to pull him aside and take away his time. So never actually talk to him. Yeah, that's true. Those guys are always busy for sure. Always uh, do you busy. have a driver always. that you? Always, yeah. Do you have a driver that you look up to, LaVar, somebody that you kind of model your racing style after? Kyle Larson, 100% Kyle Larson. I, I, the way that guy drives, like, I really admire his driving and how hard he drives, and he can get in. It doesn't matter if he get into the – he can win a cup race on Sunday and go race a midget on Monday and win, and then go race a sprint car on Tuesday and win, and then actually go in a, a dirt late model and win that race. As I said, it does not matter what that guy drives, he's fast and and he's competitive. And he's he's, he's very, oh. very, for his success, he's extremely humble. Yes, I agree with you. I think he is, too. I've, I've had an opportunity uh, to chat with him as well, and he is very humble. Uh, but uh, he, he's a powerhouse behind the wheel of any car uh, that he steps yeah. into. Um, and so I think that's a really, really great uh, role model for you. Um, yes. And... And I'm sorry. And if uh, uh, if you had a chance uh, to race this weekend, you do have a chance to race this weekend. Uh, for fans that have never been at Hickory Speedway, give us an idea of what that track is like. I know that there's a lot of history but, there. Jeff refer- or Jay referenced that, but uh, let's talk about the track itself. Very very tight racing. It's it's I don't want to say it's more one lane because the top does come in as the night goes on, but it's very tight racing, close racing. It's going to sometimes it's beating and banging. Everybody wants to get to the front, but every driver's there is good. Like it's a very historic track, like you said, so nobody wants to go there and uh, embarrass themselves. So everybody everybody's on top of their game and wanting to win. So the racing's very tight. It's very good racing. And everybody's fast. So you have to be on top of your game to even like qualifying. As I said earlier, qualifying there is tough. Like, you can't be a – if you're a 10th off, you're not even in top five. So everybody's on top of their game. Oh, okay. So the competition, like you said, is very, very tight there. Um, now, how many races have you guys had so far this season? We had two total. Yeah, two. two. Uh, as a team, so this is the gonna... team, we had the – yeah, as a team, we did four. The late model, we had four races, but, like, me as a driver only had two. Oh, I see. I see. And this, uh, you're racing yeah. this weekend, obviously, uh, your third yes. race of the season. So, uh, what have been your what have been your results in those first two races? Can you ask that question again, please? What were your results in those first two races? First race, I finished third, which I was pretty pretty stoked about. Second race, we had a twin. The first twin, I finished. Sixth, I think, in the fourth, in the second twin, I finished fourth. So for we have pretty good results, but we can always be better. 
Okay, and what are your goals for this weekend? <laughs> As if goals, I, I need I to ask. Yeah, definitely. I want to do a really good qualifying run. I know I got the car to do it because my teammate Isabella, she qualified pole two weeks ago when we went to Hickory. So I know I have the car to do it. So I want to have a really good qualifying run to start somewhere near the front for the feature, for the feature race. And from there on, I think we, if I drive good, I got a chance to win it. So definitely a top three is the, the main goal, though, and bring the car back home in one piece. Okay. Well, LeVar, it's been great talking with you, and uh, we hope you, you come so back much. and chat with us again and give us an update on your season uh, at, in the Advanced Auto Parts uh, Weekly Touring Series, all part of the NASCAR uh, driving program, and uh, Rev Racing is uh, very much involved with that. So uh, thanks for, for sharing that information with us, and we wish you the best of luck out there. Any shout-outs you want to do before you say goodbye? Thank you so much. I'd like to shout out Rev Racing, NASCAR Drive for Diversity Program, my parents, everything they do for me, my grandpa, my grandmother, and my whole family. They're awesome. Everybody in this program is awesome. My teammates, Roger, Isabella, Regina, can't do it without them. So they, we help each other a lot on and off the track. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that is awesome. Uh, when you have great teammates, and I know how important family is, and, and of course, the team at Rub Racing. So uh, thanks again, and sponsors. <laughs> I can't do it without sponsors. Thank you very so, much. Uh, yes, very true. Okay, very true. so you take care. Be safe out there, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again somewhere down the road. Again, love our Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, our pleasure. All right, uh, Jay, that's LeVar Scott. He's part of the Drive for Diversity program at uh, Rev Racing. He's going to be racing in Hickory Speedway this weekend. Uh, and I hope a lot of folks go out there and watch those guys race. Here's a couple of things I took from, from him in that interview. Uh, one, he mentioned the being involved with the, with the team in the car uh, at the shop, you know, even if it is cleaning it up on, on the following a race day. You know, and he said, okay, the setup's maybe not as much, at least not in your first year, uh, but by your second year, and you can you can describe and, and dictate what it is you want, making those adjustments. But then he also mentioned uh, of the team, when you asked him that question, you know, he's splitting the, splitting the ride. He doesn't necessarily race every every race in the, in the car, but he said, we've run right. four. I've only been the driver twice. You know, it's still his team, and obviously, as he said, he's leaning on Raja as one of them as his teammate. You know, if he's not the one driving, he's still there with the team, that it's still the team. Uh, I, I really like that. Right. He said, the team has run four. I've only gotten to be for the driver twice and considered that fortunate, but, you know, to still consider it his team, even though he may not be driving it that week. Yes, yes, uh, that's a very good point, Jay. And and uh, LeVar seems like he's doing a good job in that car, uh, when Roger's not racing it. So uh, really enjoyed that interview, and I've, I've really been enjoying uh, learning more about the uh, advanced weekly tour touring series uh, through Rev Racing and the drivers that have come on and chatted with us here. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. And like we said earlier, it's back to your grassroots racing and some of the history of NASCAR and this is where you get to see these guys before they can become superstars uh, because drivers like Kyle Larson and Bubba Wallace, they've all been through 
this program with Rev Racing. So uh, it's, a, it's a great chance to uh, uh, see the stars uh, before they start shining at the upper tier of NASCAR. Well, and, and the other question that, that I had for him, and even so much more in-depth as a driver of coming from the northeast or the north, yeah, you see drivers mm-hmm. or you know certain racers, uh, but not to see them everywhere you go, uh, you know. And like I said, here it's a little bit more so with dirt, but I can only imagine being in the hub of NASCAR, like he said. It don't matter where you go, you're going to run into somebody. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Charlotte, North Carolina, and there's a lot of other towns around there that uh, welcome North Carolina. It has RCR, and you've got, uh, you know, Canapolis. Uh, there's a lot of uh, NASCAR in, in North Carolina in general. Okay, we're uh, coming up on the top of the hour here, and that means uh, it's time for us to move on. Uh, but uh, I definitely enjoyed that interview. Okay, now uh, the Camping World Truck Series is, uh, again, back in action this week. It's a triple header, uh, starting with the Truck Series, uh, racing the LiftKitsForLess.com 200 at Darlington Raceway this Friday, tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 6.30 p.m. ET. And, uh, of course, it will be on the radio, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 200.1 miles over 147 laps. The first two stages are 45 laps apiece. So stage one ends on lap 45, stage two on lap 90, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 147. So uh, we have a lot to look forward to uh, this weekend. Uh, let's start with Haley Deegan, who uh, has had a little bit of an uptick. She certainly has. She's been finding her footing here in the truck series, driving for David Gill and Racing's uh, rookie driver Haley Deegan is now coming off her best finish of the season last weekend at Kansas Speedway, where she finished 13th. And the rising star is really starting to find that footing in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Deegan is currently 15th in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver playoff outlook, just 41 points back from the postseason cut line, with eight races left in the regular season. Now, since the inception of the Truck Series playoffs, no female competitors have qualified for the postseason. In seven starts so far this year, Deegan has posted an average finish of 21.4. She will be making her series track debut this weekend at Darlington Raceway. She'll become the seventh different female competitor to compete at Darlington Raceway in the series, joining Jennifer Jo Cobb, who did it in 2010 and 2020, Joanna Long in 2011, uh, Deborah Renshaw in 04, Kelly Sutton in 04 as well. In 2003, it was Terry McDonald and Tina Gordon. So the best the best finish by a female competitor in the truck series at Darlington Raceway is 14th by Jennifer Jo Cobb on August 14th, 2010, and it was Cobb Series track debut. And as you said, in the last couple of races, we've seen that progression to the front. So she might be able to set a new record there at Darlington. Yep, we'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, truck Series at Darlington is always a lot of fun. So 
but another driver I'm going to be keeping my eye on this weekend is Ben Rhodes. He's back for a second dance with the Lady in Black in Victory Lane. After firing out a cannon to start the season and winning uh, the opening two truck series races at the Daytona Oval and the road course, Door Sport Racing's Ben Rhodes hasn't slowed down and is looking to defend his last season win, Darlington, and hope for a second dance with the Lady in Black in Victory Lane this weekend. Now, Rhodes is currently second in the point standings, just 33 markers back from the series leader, who is, uh, of course, John Hunter Nemechek. This season, Rhodes uh, has been next level in seven starts, He's accumulated two wins, three top fives, and six top tens. Last year, Rhodes started and didn't battle for the lead until late in the race, but wrestled his way to the front. And with just two laps to go, he took the checkered flag. He will start fourth this weekend, and uh, that does not bode well for the uh, competitors because he's going to be a tough competitor this weekend, I think. Well, and you mentioned that, mentioned that of uh, coming back for the second dance. It's a brief history for the Truck Series at Darlington Raceway. Now, the Camping World Truck Series has competed at Darlington Raceway just a total of seven times, from 2001 to 04, 2010 and 11, and then again in 2020, since the series' inception back in 1995. So those seven Camping World Truck Series races have produced five different pole winners and five different race winners. The five different drivers, obviously, are tied for the most poles at Darlington on the Truck Series with one each. you got Carl Edwards, Jason Leffler, Timothy Peters, Jack Sprague, and Cole Witt. Bobby Hamilton in 2001 and 2003, and Casey Kane in 2004 and 11 lead this year's at Darlington with wins with two each. Hamilton won the inaugural Camping World Truck Series race at Darlington Raceway on May 12, 2001. Driving for his own team, Bobby Hamilton Racing, uh, Dodge. He led all but 10 of the 135-lap event. Sports Racing's Matt Crafton is the only driver in series uh, to make all seven NASCAR Camping World Truck Series starts at Darlington Raceway. In the seven Darlington starts, Crafton has posted an average finish of 9.286, with a best finish of fourth coming in 2011. Mentioned a teammate there, Ben Rhodes. He collected the win in the Camping World Truck Series, returned to Darlington Raceway last season. Now this season, the liftkit4less.com uh, 200, again scheduled for uh, May 7th, 147 laps in the three stages that were broken down, 45 laps each, and the final stage, 57 laps. The lineup will be, uh, has been decided already by the metric uh, qualifying, and as a result, Kyle Busch Motorsports' John Hunter Nemechek will start from the pole, and Hattori Racing's Enterprises' Austin Hill will join Nemechek on that front row. Yes, indeed. This is going to be... <laughs> Uh, uh, so a lot of bumping and banging on uh, Friday night. 
But t- let's talk about some hot streaks. Toyota and Kyle Busch Motorsports seems to be unstoppable. Toyota drivers have won every race this season in the truck series. And this weekend at Darlington Raceway, uh, they are looking to keep that streak alive and to bring the win total to eight straight victories. Toyota already holds the record for the most wins, consecutive wins, to start a season with 10 straight in 2014. So uh, we're at that point where people are going to start asking, can they break that record uh, this year in 2021? This season, Thorsport Racing Finn Roads drove his Toyota Tundra to Victory Lane in the opening two races, as we mentioned earlier, uh, both the Daytona Oval and the road course. And ever since then, Kyle Busch Motorsport drivers Martin Truex Jr. won on the Bristol Dirt, Kyle Busch won at Atlanta and at Kansas, and the series standing leader, John Hunter Nemechek, one at Las Vegas and Richmond. They have all grabbed victories the last five races, and this weekend the KBM crew are hunting for the series record and their sixth straight win. With Kyle Busch's victory last weekend at Kansas, it gave Kyle Busch Motorsports its fifth straight win this season, tying Kevin Harvick, Inc. in 2009 and Rosh Fenway Racing in 2000 and 1999 as just the third organization in series history to win five consecutive races. So uh, Kyle Busch uh, Motorsports, um, we've kind of outlined those wins this year. Uh, when Harvick did it, in, when KHI or Kevin Harvick Inc. did it in uh, 2009, it was all with Ron Hornaday at Nashville, Lucas Oil Raceway, Kentucky, Memphis, and Milwaukee from uh, June through August of that year. And then in uh, Rush Fenway in 2000, did it from June until early July. Uh, about a month there, they went on a streak uh, with Kurt Busch winning at Loudoun in Milwaukee, Greg Biffle winning at Watkins Glen, Kentucky, and Texas. Then again, Rosh Fenway in, in 1999, from August 5th to September 24th, uh, they won five consecutive races. Uh, the first two with Greg Biffle were Las Vegas and Richmond, and then Mike Bliss won at Heartland Park. And then again, Greg Biffle won at Gateway and Lucas Oil Raceway. So uh, those were all of those uh, streaks of five uh, that uh, are equal to what Kyle Busch Motorsports is doing this year. Uh, this weekend at Darlington, KBM drivers uh, John Hunter Nemechek in the number four, Chandler Smith in the number 18, and Corey Heim from the Arkham and Art Series in the number 51 will have their chance at securing the record, making KBM the only organization in series history with six straight wins. Nemechek and Heim will be making their series track debuts this weekend at Darlington Raceway for Kyle Busch Motorsports. And Smith competed in last season's event He started 14th and finished 23rd. So uh, we'll see what KPM is able to do this weekend. Will they be able to break that record? Well, they got three solid teams and drivers there uh, ready to do so. But 
there's going to be some additional challenge on the line here at Darlington as the Triple Truck Challenge presented by Wampley kicks off at Darlington Raceway. Now, the Triple Truck Challenge was introduced in 2019 as a three-race program that provides drivers in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series an opportunity to win up to $500,000 in bonus money. The Triple Truck Challenge will award a 50000 bonus to the race winner of any of the three events, win two of the three races, and the driver pockets an additional 150000 and if you win all three, you collect the cool half million dollars. Now, this season, the Triple Truck Challenge will be held at Darlington Raceway here coming up May 7th. May 22nd, they'll be at the Circuit of Americas and Charlotte Motor Speedway on May 28th. Now, Wampley is a leading small business solutions provider and local commerce platform that helps small businesses access the PPP program. They enter NASCAR as the presenting sponsor of the 2021 Triple Truck Challenge presented by Wampley. During this triple, the 2021 Triple Truck Challenge uh, presented by Wampley, the brand will be integrated throughout the program at track, on broadcast, and across digital and social media. Through this agreement, Wampley will highlight its PPP Fastlane product, which assists small businesses and self-employed workers with PPP loan applications. Wampley leads in helping small businesses and self-employed workers with their loan applications to secure the PPP loans through the various lenders. The company is focused on ensuring access and prioritization of all loan sizes to all small businesses and self-employed workers. The PPP Fastlane is a simple web-based data collection process aiming to simplify the PPP process by removing friction that only applies to larger businesses. The PPP Fastlane includes multiple layers of fraud prevention and identity verification, which is essential to serving the PPP loans at scale in accordance with government rules. When we look at last season, is GMS Racing Sheldon Creed that banked two of the Triple Chuck Challenge wins, the most by a driver in the series. So look back at 2019 first. They ran at Gateway, Iowa, and Texas, and it was Ross Chastain, Brett Moffitt, and Greg Biffle that won those three events accordingly. 20, it was the Daytona Road Course, Dover, and Gateway. As mentioned, Sheldon Creed won two of them, the Daytona Road Course and and, uh, Gateway, with Zane Smith picking up the win at Dover. So we'll have to see this year. Uh, looking at the three tracks, three very unique tracks, you've got Darlington, Charlotte, and the Circuit of Americas. I'm thinking we're going to have three different winners again, uh, personally. Yes. <laughs> yeah, those are three very different tracks uh, in that Triple Truck Challenge this year. But, uh, again, that's what makes it fun to watch, right? It does, and again, uh, I know Wampley has come on uh, this year as a title sponsor to it. The program itself started in 2019. I love the fact that they do this for, in this case, the truck series. In the Xfinity series, we have the Dash for Cash. We're making sure that the the drivers that are dedicated to that series for that season uh, get the reward. They cut it down into a section of the races, but really highlighting that for those races. Yes. 
now, Jay, in case folks missed it on Monday night uh, when we gave our Fan for Racing Fantasy Group update, uh, let's go ahead and take this uh, opportunity to update those points for all three series. All right. All right. Well, we will start with the truck series since we just – oh, I pulled up the wrong one. Let me bring up the points. Uh, start with the truck series. Sharon is leading that one with 34 points. There's a tie for second behind her at 26 points. That's Sam and Andy. And then right behind that is myself and Mike tied at 24. So that's your top five in the uh, truck series. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, slide over to my total here. This one's a little bit closer. Uh, Andy's got 38 points. James is second at 31. And then you got a tie for third and fourth with Mike and Owen at 30. And Sam is right there at 26 as well. And that one, none of us trail real far there. The Cup Series, uh, we don't get no tighter than this. Sharon still has the points lead at 60 points. But that's what she had the week prior. We were able to close in. I came up to 58. Mike and Owen are tied at 53. And then Sam is right there at 49. Uh, so that one, the tightest of all of them, uh, going to be real interesting. And when we slide to the overall across all three of the series, Sharon, uh, you heard her name mentioned several there. And when we talk about the top five, 117 points. But Mike is now only 10 points behind at 107. I'm at 103, Owen is at 102, and Sam at 101. So, again, uh, nobody pulling away with any kind of extensive lead at this point in the season. Yeah, this has always been a lot of fun, and you've done it for several years now for us here at Pampa Racing. And our group keeps growing. Uh, We're up to eight people now, or seven people now. And... uh, uh, it makes it a lot of more fun, I think, with more people, as you mentioned on Monday night. It does, and it, I, I really hadn't thought about it that way, but it, the, the points, the way it has impacted, and, and truthfully, like I said, I, I look at it uh, every week. Uh, we haven't been doing as good a job of picking the race winners as we have in the past. Uh, I'm not sure if that – then again, we've had 10, 10 out of 11 different winners in the Cup Series, so I guess it's kind of tough to pick that, huh? When you think he's the favorite, it's like and one of the favorites, Danny Hamlin, hasn't even won yet. Exactly. The series points the leader. So, okay. Well, we appreciate all that you do to kind of keep us up to date and keep us on track with our own uh, Fan for Racing Fantasy group. And uh, I think everybody pretty much enjoys doing it. So uh, we appreciate all that you do there, Jay. Uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. Like you mentioned, we, we do it just for fun and bragging rights. And uh, it's gotten to the point where we're bragging week to week as far as the points lead. I know I had it and you took it from me. So I've had to stay quiet for a couple of weeks. I'm hoping this week I can get at least one of them back from you. <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't get a chance to brag very often, so uh, the fact that I have a chance to brag is kind of a big deal. Um, Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. Uh, They are also racing this weekend at Darlington Raceway. Uh, The Steakhouse Elite 200 will take place this weekend, Saturday, May the 8th, 
at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will have their pre-race coverage at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, and MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio will also have coverage. The race is 200.1 miles, almost a, a duplicate, a mirror image of what the uh, truck race is, 147 laps. The first two stages are 45 laps each. So uh, first stage one ends on lap 45, stage two on lap 90. The last stage ends on the last lap, lap 147. So uh, it's interesting that uh, it's almost a mirror image there between the truck race and the uh, Xfinity series. That doesn't happen all the time. Not very, not very often. You're right. That doesn't happen very often. The first. Uh, okay, we've got uh, somebody of... special behind the wheel this week. Yeah, we got some news. Before we talk about Darlington, we're going to talk about Richmond in 2021, and that's because Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be back behind the wheel. NASCAR Hall of Famer uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. announced that his yearly NASCAR Xfinity Series start will take place at Richmond Raceway this season on September 11th. And this year's start will come on the 20th anniversary of the 2001 attacks on September 11th, and he will drive a special United for America paint scheme to honor the 9-11 victims. His longtime partner, Unilever, will be on board the number eight junior motorsports Chevrolet. In the spirit of remembering the victims, his paint scheme will mirror that of the 9-11 memorial and museum's tribute in light. The scheme will be blue and white and have four spotlights representing the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and the Flight 93 Memorial Site, which is in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The words never forget will be displayed on the lower quarter panel to honor those whose lives were lost during the attack. Uh, Earnhardt has won seven NASCAR National Series races at Richmond Raceway in his career. He's a three-time cup race winner at America's premier short track with victories in the Crown Royal 400 in 2006, the Chevy American Revolution 400 in 2004, and the Pontiac Excitement 400 back in 2000. Earnhardt has also won four Xfinity Series races at Richmond, with his last career victory there coming in 2016 in the Toyota Care 250. So a very awesome... uh, a spot to pick. I know he does that annual race, and I think that's a huge one to do for this year. Okay. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that is going to be huge. Uh, And uh, I'm glad to see that we are never forgetting about uh, what happened on September the 11th, and and this was a great honor to uh, uh, all of the 9-11 victims uh, that Dale Earnhardt Jr. is doing there at Richmond. Okay, now also some uh, good news uh, this week. Tanner Berryhill is going to be joining our motorsports for three races. Uh, So he'll be driving the number 23 Chevrolet for three races starting this weekend at Darlington Raceway. He's a native of uh, Bixby, Oklahoma, and he'll have sponsorship from Realty Connect. Uh, Barry Hill will also be behind the wheel of the 23 at Texas Motor Speedway twice, once in June and again in October. Now, this weekend marks Barry Hill's 41st 
Xfinity Series start. His first was in 2012, and his most recent start was in 2018 at Homestead Miami Speedway. He's, he has a series career best finish of 17th at Mid-Ohio in 2014. This is going to be his third start at Darlington Raceway. His first was in 2013, and his second start there was in 2014. So uh, really good to hear that Tanner Berryhill will be back on the track in the Xfinity Series uh, for our motorsports. All right. Well, I got kind of an easy piece here, if you will. Uh, I know I talk about this, and I, I get frustrated one time. One of the few times I get frustrated with doing a radio show, the throwback weekend paint schemes. Uh, this weekend is the highly anticipated throwback weekend to Darlington, at Darlington Raceway, and the Xfinity Series drivers are ready to show off their schemes on the track that are too tough. To, that's too tough to tame. You'll have to go online. Uh, Jayski, I believe, has them up. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think they got a special section there of the pictures. But uh, oh, give yeah. me a list of ones that have annou- announced um, their paint schemes. Jeffrey Earnhardt in the number zero JD Motorsports with Gary Keller Chevrolet is throwing back to Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s Olympics paint scheme. Michael Annette in the number one junior motorsport Chevrolet is running a Gatorade throwback scheme. Ryan Vargas in the number six JD Motorsports, also with Gary Keller Chevrolet, is honoring Mark Martin with a throwback. Justin Algar in the number seven junior Motorsports Chevrolet. Uh, that one resembles Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s Tasmanian Devil look from the 2000 Daytona 500. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just picturing these in my mind. Uh, like I said, uh, it's uh, Josh Berry in the number eight junior Motorsports Chevrolet. Uh, honoring team owner Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jeb Burton in the number 10 colleague racing Chevrolet, as is so cool, honoring his dad, Ward Burton. Justin Haley in the number 11 colleague racing Chevrolet. He's going to honor the Leaf Filters first ever paint scheme. That's their team sponsor uh, with uh, colleague. Uh, Matt Jasko in the number 13 MBM Motorsports Toyota is honoring early NASCAR diversity and paying tribute to the late Steve uh, Dixon. Harrison Burton in the number 20 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, again honoring his dad, Jeff Burton. Brandon Godovic in the number 26 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota. He's honoring Kyle Petty's 1997 Hot Wheels scheme. I saw that one. Tommy Joe Martins in the number 44 Martins Motorsport Chevrolet. That's going to be paying tribute to Rich Bickle. Jay Buford in the number 48 Big Machine Racing Chevrolet. We talked about this one. He's honoring Dan Gurney. Uh, Jeremy Clements in the number 51 Jeremy Clements Racing Chevrolet is honoring Dale Jarrett. Timmy Hill in the number 66 MBM Motorsports Toyota. He's got a Rusty Wallace throwback. Bailey Curry, number 74 Mike Harmon Racing Chevrolet. Has got the Gray Ghost uh, tribute. I like that one. Josh mm-hmm. Williams, the number 92 DGM Racing Chevrolet, honors late team member a Rusty Cruz, who did, died before the start of the 2021 season. Uh, I haven't seen that one, but that's also an aw- awesome tribute. Let's see who else we got. Riley Herbst, the number eight Stuart Haas Racing Ford, uh, throwing back to 1999, Tony Stewart's Rookie Year Classic scheme. 
Ryan Ellis in the 99 BJ McLeod Motorsport Chevrolet honoring his grandfather at Darlington. AJ Allmendinger in the number 16 College Racing Chevrolet is thrown back to uh, this uh, 2014 NASCAR Cup Series win at Watkins Glen. Colby Howard, number 15 JD Motorsports with Gary Keller Chevrolet is honoring his father, Rodney Howard, in his 1980s styled late model. Daniel Hemrick, the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, going to honor NASCAR Hall of Famer-elect Red Farmer. Kyle Weatherman, uh, number 47 Mike Harmon Racing Chevrolet, is teaming up with Pit Viper Sunglasses for a Richard Petty throwback. Brandon Brown, the number 68 Brandon Belt Motorsports Chevrolet, honoring Dale Jarrett and the UPS. And then Myatt Schneider, the number two Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet, uh, another one honoring his grandfather. So some very great schemes. Again, you've got to go check them out and, and get the visual on some of these. They are so awesome. Yeah, you know, one of the favorite race weekends is this weekend at Darlington with those throwback schemes. Uh, whoever came up with that idea was pure genius. Uh, I, I really loved uh, seeing those, and I, I'm really sad that I'm going to miss some of the racing, but I'm so thankful uh, I won't be able to see it live, but it will be recorded, all, every one of those races, and uh, I'll be able to check it out at my earliest convenience. So I uh, don't want to miss out on those paint schemes. Okay, now the Xfinity Series playoff bubble, everybody's uh, looking at who's in and who's out already. With seven different race winners so far this year and five drivers already locked into the playoffs in the Xfinity Series, there are a lot of shakeups every week in the playoff picture. So Jeff Burton's win last year in the or last week in, in their last time out in the rain-shortened race at Talladega Super Speedway put Burton and the number 10 college racing team into the playoffs. He became the second college racing driver to punch their playoff ticket. Daniel Hemrick has stayed consistent and keeps the highest playoff spot without a win. He's 132 points above the cut line and has three stage wins along with his three playoff points. In terms of the biggest surprises in the playoff outlook so far, two drivers are really standing out. Jeremy Clements has been in the top 12 for most of the season, and he's shown speed all year long. Clements is currently 45 points above the playoff cut line in ninth place in the playoff point standings. Now, the biggest jump in the standings that is notable is Noah Gregson, who won the Dash for Cash Prize for back-to-back weeks and has made his way now up to 10th in the point standings. Brandon Brown jumped ahead of the cut line after his performance at Talladega. He was below the cut line but swapped places with Michael Lynette heading into this weekend. Of the drivers inside the playoff outlook, uh, top 12 uh, that are looking for a win this season, Gregson has the best average finish at Darlington Raceway with a 3.7, followed by Harrison Burton at 7.5, Riley Earps at 11.0, Justin Haley at 11.3, Brandon Jones at 12.0, Michael Lynette 17.6, Daniel Hemrick at 18.0, and Josh Williams at 18.3. Now then, again, we've got uh, five drivers in on wins, Cindric, 
Jeb Burton, A.J. Allmendinger, Maya Snyder, and Justin Algauer. Uh, the drivers that are in position on points are Daniel Hemrick, Harrison Burton, Justin Haley, Jeremy Clements, Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones, and Brandon Brown. Uh, playoff points are not real significant there. Daniel Hemrick does have the three, and Noah Gregson has two. Justin Haley won, and Brendan Jones won. Everybody else is at zero in that category. Uh, those drivers just below the cut line uh, include Riley Erbst in 13th, Michael Lynette, Joe, Tommy Joe Martins, and Josh Williams. Josh is the furthest back at 56 points back, with Riley Erbst just 15 points back from that cut line. So that's going to be on everybody's mind this weekend as they race at Darlington. Uh, is can they put themselves, uh, we mentioned a big jump for uh, Noah Gregson, can people make that jump back into that top 12 uh, or even get that win to put them in that safe zone uh, of the playoff ticket punched? Well, so much going on here in the Xfinity Series. Normally the Sunoco Rookie of the Year updates uh, is one of the first things we cover, and we're only getting to it now. We'll take a look at it as they tightened up after Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, Ty Gibbs is still your leader, 128 points, has picked up two awards. Josh Berry now right there with him, 126, also has two awards. Ryan Vargas has four awards, a total of 68 points. We've got Jordan Anderson and Sam Mayer, though, who have yet to make the start. And Joe Gibbs Racing's uh, Ty Gibbs still leads the way there in the NASCAR Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings after only starting three of the eight races this season. His uh, 128 points and two Sunoco Rookie of the Year race awards in those three starts. And he did collect the win in his debut at the Daytona Road Course, hasn't finished outside of the top five in all three starts. Take a closer look at Junior Motorsports' Josh Berry, now two points behind him, second in the standings. He scored his first career Xfinity Series win at Martinsville Speedway a few weeks ago. And Berry is also running a part-time schedule, having made seven starts this season, posting that win in three top tens. J.D. Motorsports' Ryan Vargas still sitting in, the, in third in the rookie standings, 68 points. His eight Eight starts so far this season with J.D. Motorsports. Vargas has a best finish of 18th. That was from the season opener at Daytona. And then I mentioned Jordan Anderson and Sam Mayer still have yet to make starts, any starts this season, so are fourth and fifth respectively with no points awards as of yet. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens when they're finally able to get into those races. Okay, doubled up. We mentioned that Gregson won back-to-back cash for cash checks. Darlington is up next, and he's one of the qualifiers. Uh, It was designed, the whole program was designed to add elements of unpredictability and drama leading up to and during four designated races. Uh, They want to increase the on-track competition, engage fans, and reward and recognize Xfinity Series regular competitors. Now, the NASCAR Xfinity Series Dash for Cash will take place at four tracks this year. We've already done Martinsville on April 9th, Talladega on April 24th. Darlington's coming up this weekend on May 8th, and then it will end at Dover International Speedway on May the 15th. 
Now, Junior Motorsports North Racing took home both Dash for Cash prices uh, so far this season at Martinsville and Cactus at Talladega, bringing his uh, total bonus to $200,000. Gregson and the next three highest finishing full-time Xfinity Series drivers, Almendinger, Jeff Burton, and Cindric, along with Gregson, have all qualified for the next round of the program at Darlington this weekend. Now, the format will then continue on at Dover as the finale with the Dash for Cash winner and the highest three finishing Xfinity Series drivers at Darlington qualifying for that final round at Dover. Now, the qualifiers at Darlington, Noah Gregson, is making his fourth start at Darlington, and he has finished in the top ten in all three of his previous starts at the track and had the best finish of fifth in this race just last season. He started on the pole then, too. Now, Gregson has led 46 laps at the track and has an average start of 7.7 and an average finish of 6.7. Jeb Burton and A.J. Allmendinger are making Xfinity Series debuts at Darlington this weekend, uh, and Austin Sindrick is making his fifth start at Darlington this season. He has one top five and two top tens in those four previous to track. He also has an average start of 7.8 and with an average finish of 16.5. So that's how your Dash for Cash competitors stack up. Uh, we'll see what they do this weekend on the track. Let's uh, start with one of those competitors. Besides Noah Gregson, there's this guy. Well, I was going to say, I wouldn't take it to the bank, but those stats kind of say that uh, Gregson might be going to the bank again. We'll have to wait and see. As another first, Jeb Burton wins his first career Xfinity Series race at Talladega. And his time was of the essence on that Saturday as a thunderstorm was barreling towards Talladega Super Speedway in the middle of the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. The competition was fierce, but the skies eventually opened up and it was Collins Race, Collins Racing's Jeb Burton that was able to hold on to the lead just before that final caution came out, before the red place was red flagged and ultimately called because of weather, uh, securing his first career NASCAR Xfinity Series win. Burton's win marked the third straight win at Talladega Super Speedway for Collins Racing, as Justin Haley had swept both races at the Alabama track last season. The first two stages had no incident. Haley won the first stage, and junior motorsports driver Noah Gregson won the second stage. It was series standings leader and Team Penske driver Austin Sindrick who finished second at Talladega, followed by A.J. Allmendinger, Riley Herbst, and Ryan Sieg rounding out the top five. Now, not only did Gregson grab the stage win at Talladega, he also pocketed that uh, another $100,000 in that NASCAR Xfinity Dash for Cash bonus as that highest finishing driver among the four eligible. He also won the money at the previous Dash for Cash event at Martinsville. So he's got $200,000 in the bank so far from the 2021 Dash for Cash program. Now, Jeb Burton, Austin Sindrick, A.J. Allmendinger, and Noah Gregson now have all qualified for this next round of the Dash for Cash that will be this weekend at Darlington. Like I said, his stats look the best, but uh, those are four tough drivers you can't bet against either. And that is so, so true. Uh, let's take a look. After they had a week off, 
the Xfinity Series is now back on the track at Darlington this weekend. A.J. Allmendinger is starting on the pole. Austin Sendrick will join him on the front row. Then it'll be Jeb Burton, Justin Haley, and Noah Gregson to round out the top five starters on Saturday. There have been 61 Xfinity Series races held at Darlington, producing 33 different winners and 29 different pole winners. The youngest pole winner, of course, is Kyle Busch in 2004 at the age of 18 years, 10 months, and 18 days. The oldest pole winner was Harry Gantt in 1991 at 51 years, 7 months, and 21 days. There have been 33 different race winners. The youngest winner is Chase Elliott in 2004 at the age of 18 years, 4 months, and 14 days. The oldest winner was Dick Trickle in 1998 at the age of 56 years, 10 months, and 9 days. Now, a total of 15 of the 61 races have been won from the pole or the first starting position. The last race won from the pole was in 2017 by Denny Hamlin. Now, NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin holds a bunch of records for the Xfinity Series at Darlington. He has the most poles with eight the most wins with eight, the most top fives at 14, the most top tens at 18, and he's also led the most laps at 972. So uh, we'll see what folks do this weekend at Darlington, Uh, but uh, it's good to see the Xfinity Series back on track, Jay. It is, and uh, I feel like we have a serious flashback to ESPN there with the Dick Trickle shout-out. He comes out of the <laughs> upper Midwest there, uh, so i gotta got to get that in there. got a Dick Trickle shout-out in there. There you go. All right, next up is the NASCAR Cup Series. They're going to be racing the Goodyear 400 at Darlington this weekend, Sunday, May the 9th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, pre-race starts at 2 p.m. on Fox Sports 1, MRN, and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they're going to be racing double the distance at 400.2 miles, 293 laps. And the first two stages, uh, well, the first stage is uh, 90 laps. And then the next stage ends on lap 185. Uh, so that's 95 laps, and then the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 293. So, uh, again, this Cup Series, it's a big deal, this throwback weekend for these guys. Uh, but the lady in black has a way of uh, becoming an equalizer in the Cup Series as well. Well, and what a historic track to hit a couple of potential milestones. Team Penske's Brad Keselowski will be making his 425th NASCAR Cup Series start this weekend at Darlington Raceway. Keselowski ranks 61st on the all-time Cup Series starts list and will become the eighth active driver with 425 or more starts in the series. Then on the shorter end, Richard Childress Racing's Tyler Reddick, he'll be making his 50th NASCAR Cup Series start this weekend at Darlington. So two ends of the spectrum, uh, one making the 50th and one making 425. Isn't that something? Okay, for the Sunoco rookie update, uh, it's been a little bit of a trial by fire type of season this year. 
for the class, for the rookie of the year class. Uh, they haven't had the advantage of having any practices or qualifying sessions before the races. But Stuart Hawes Racing's Chase Briscoe and Front Row Motorsports' Anthony Alfredo have really adapted quickly. Briscoe currently the rookie standings, uh, the rookie leader standings is over Alfredo by 58 points. And both drivers have performed similarly this season. They posted their best finishes of the year so far at Talladega. Now, Briscoe finished 11th, and Alfredo finished right behind him in 12th place. And both drivers are making their Cup Series debuts at Darlington Raceway this weekend. Now, Briscoe does have a slight edge over Alfredo this weekend, though. He has won in the Xfinity Series at Darlington, and that was just last season. Okay. Jay, are you still with me? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I had the mute on there. I was scrolling up. we got a couple of charts to go through here, but looking at South Carolina's best in NASCAR. Now, over the years, a total of 140 different drivers have made at least one NASCAR National Series start with their home state recorded as South Carolina. James Hilton from Inman, South Carolina, leads all NASCAR drivers from South Carolina with the most NASCAR National Series starts at 607. Three drivers from South Carolina have been inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Those include David Pearson from Spartanburg, Cale Yarbrough from Timminsville, and Cotton Owens, another one from Spartansburg. In total, 11 drivers from South Carolina have won at least one race in the NASCAR's three National Series total, uh, National Series series totaling 239 victories, and seven have been in the NASCAR Cup Series. We talk about David Pearson. He had 105 Cup Series starts, a one Xfinity for a total of 170 or 106. Cale Yarbrough, 83, all at the Cup level. Um, Cotton Owens, nine. Tiny Lund, five. James Hilton, two. Johnny Allen, one. And Joe Eubanks, one. Those were all at the Cup level. Then we get into Larry Pearson. He had 15 in the Xfinity Series. Jason Keller had 10 in the Xfinity Series. Butch Lindley, six. And Jeremy Clements with one. Now, drivers not only in the South Carolina is getting into the NASCAR National Series competition, there's also some great people behind the scenes as well. Take you through some of the uh, workers. Chris Jackson from Rock Hill, South Carolina, is a rear tire changer on the number 14 Stuart Haas Racing. Joe Mabry from Campello, Campobello, South Carolina, the hauler driver for the number 17 Roush Fenway Racing. Marshall McFadden. Darlington, South Carolina, right there at home, is a part of Starcom Racing in the double zero. He's a jackman. Another jackman, Stan Doolittle, is from 96, South Carolina, on the number four, Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, Roush Fenway Racing tire carrier on the number 34. That is Calvin McKirkton out of Columbia, South Carolina. And Ty Norris comes out of Sumpner, South Carolina, and he is the president of Trackhouse Racing number 99. He goes back through Michael Waltrip Racing as well as DEI, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yes, indeed. Okay, I always like that little segment where we hear about where the drivers are from at the uh, home state of the race for the weekend. Okay, now next we're going to take a look at the playoff bubble. There's just 15 races to go and just 12 points are separating the drivers along the cut line. So with 15 races left in the regular season for the NASCAR Cup Series and already 10 different winners banking their spots in the playoff with wins, uh, position availability and time are conspiring against the competitors still looking for their ticket to the postseason. Now, consider this driver's standings. Points leader is a guaranteed spot in the playoff. That leaves just five spots left in the postseason grid up for grabs as the series heads to Darlington Raceway for the throwback weekend and the Goodyear 400 on Sunday. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin currently holds the NASCAR Cup Series driver standings lead with a comfortable 87 points up on second-place driver Martin Truex Jr. Hamlin has three wins at Darlington, including one just last season, and most likely intends to add his name to this season's list of winners this weekend. But if you look at the playoff outlook cut line from Austin Dillon to position 14, which is Daniel Suarez and Daniel Suarez in 22nd, just 95 points separate the nine positions with 15 races to go. The points tighten up considerably between the Woods brothers, Matt Benedetto in 16th, that's the final transfer spot, and Chip Ganassi racing driver, uh, and 2004 Series champion Kurt Busch in the 17th position. The first spot that's outside the postseason cutoff. With just 12 points separating them, De Benedetto has been riding a hot streak, posting three consecutive top 10 finishes in his last three starts of the season and now heading into this weekend at Darlington. But the Grass Valley, California native, is going to have his work cut out for him this weekend as Bush has a slightly better average finish of 15.6 over DiBenedetto's 21.0. So um, if we look at this, there are, let's see, the NASCAR drivers without wins following race number 11. That includes Denny Hamlin, who's the series points leader, uh, Chase Elliott is at 349, Kevin Harvick at 348, Austin Dillon at 295, Chris Buescher at 258, and Matt Benedetto, as we mentioned, at 250. He's above the cut line. Uh, now, Hamlin has five stage wins. That gives him five playoff points. But uh, Chase Elliott, Chris Buescher, and Matt Benedetto. Uh, those three drivers have just one. Those below the cut line include Kurt Busch and 17th at 238th, and it's Tyler Ruddick. And Ricky Stenhouse are actually tied at 232 for that 18th and 19th position. Then we go to Ryan Newman in 20, uh, and he's uh, at 219. Then it's Bubba Wallace at 207, Daniel Suarez at 200. Uh, then we go to Brian Priest, Ross Chastain, Cole Custer, 
Chase Briscoe, the highest rookie, Eric Jones, Eric Almarola, Anthony Alfredo, another rookie, and then Corey Joe, LaJoy, I mean, uh, rounding out uh, the top 30 drivers. Six of the top 10 in average finishing position among active drivers at Darlington are looking for a win this season. That includes Eric Jones, who has an average finishing position of 5.2, Denny Hamlin at 7.5, Austin Hill at 12.0, Ryan Newman at 12.8, Kevin Harvick at 12.9, and Tyler Reddick at 14.3. So um, that's going to be interesting to see what happens this weekend. Who Are we going to get our 11th different driver uh, this weekend, Jay? I don't know. Uh, I know there's some heavy hitters, but can you imagine Eric Jones going from 27th into the top 16? Uh, that would be it's interesting. Possible. But it's it is possible. possible. As I mentioned, though, we got three of the biggest names in the NASCAR Cup Series and perennial championship contenders Danny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, and Chase Elliott that are still looking for their first win of the 2021 season and want to punch their ticket to the playoffs. Last season, Harvick had nine, Hamlin seven, and Elliott five, and they were the three winningest drivers of the year, combining to visit Victory Lane in 21 of the 36 events at 58.3%. But this season, all three are still looking to capture a win just 11 races into the year. Now, all three have come close to winning. Elliott has finished runner-up twice, the Daytona 500 in Martinsville, and both Hamlin and Harvick, uh, Hamlin at Richmond, Harvick at Kansas, have finished second at least once this season. But looking to the throwback weekend at Darlington on Sunday, all that longing for a victory could be vanquished if for one of the three. Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick has made 26 starts at Darlington, posted two poles, three wins, including two of them last season, 11 top fives and 15 top tens. When we look at Joe Gibbs Racing's uh, Denny Hamlin, he's found success at Darlington in 17 starts with one pole, three wins, nine top fives, and 13 top tens. Hamlin has also won five times in the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Darlington. Then we get to Hendrick Motorsports driver and the 2020 Series champion, Chase Elliott. He has yet to win in the Cup Series at the Lady in Black, but does have the 2014 win in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. In total, Elliott has only made just eight NASCAR Cup Series starts at Darlington, but he has collected two top fives and three top tens. So we'll see where they shuffle out in all this. Yes, indeed. Count them up because we've got different winners almost every week. Through 11 races of the Cup Series, we've seen 10 different winners making uh, 2021 just the third season of the modern era from 72 to the present to accomplish that feat. They also did that in 2000 and 2003 seasons, each with 10 different winners. Will we see an 11th winner in 12 races this weekend? The record in the modern era, 1972 to the present, for the most different Cup Series winners in a single season in its entirety is 19. That was set back in 2001. The series has also seen a total of 18 different winners. That's the second most in a single season, and that was done twice 
in 2002 and again in 2011. Now, last year, the series produced 13 different winners since moving to the elimination style format of the playoffs in 2014. The most different winners the series has seen in a season is 15 in 2017. Now, if you anticipate the streak of different winners to keep going this weekend, you might be right. Uh, the, the six former NASCAR Cup Series Darlington Raceway winners entered this weekend. Three are still looking for the first win of the season, including Denny Hamlin, who won in 10, 17, and 20. Harvick has two Darlington wins in 2020 and in 2014, and Eric Jones in 2019. In addition, three other cup drivers are still looking for their first win of this year, and they have grabbed wins in the Xfinity Series at the 1.366-mile track. Chase Briscoe in 2020, Cole Custer in 2019, and Chase Elliott in 2014. Of course, we could possibly see a first-time NASCAR Cup Series winner this weekend. It has happened before at Darlington. Six drivers have posted their first career Cup Series win at Darlington, including Johnny Mance in 1950, Nelson Stacy in 61, Larry Frank in 62, Terry Labonte in 80, Speed in 88, and Regan Smith in 2011. So uh, I think they're going to keep that streak alive this weekend, Jay. Uh, very good possibility. Now, we've talked a lot about the throwback uh, weekend at Darlington, but one thing we got to look at is it's a rare extravaganza as they are racing on Mother's Day. Uh, it's just the eighth time in NASCAR Cup Series history that the series has competed on Mother's Day. The most recent winner to do a winner race on Mother's Day was Jeff Gordon. He'll be in the Fox Sports booth. And, uh, he won the 2007 rain-delayed Darlington Raceway uh, race on May 13th in 07. NASCAR Hall of Famer uh, inductee Buck Baker holds the record for the most wins on Mother's Day at two. He did it in 1956 and 54. Uh, Cale Yarbrough did it on uh, Talladega in 78. Benny Parsons at South Boston Speedway in uh, 1971. Uh, Bob Wellborn at Greensboro Fairgrounds in 58. Mentioned uh, Buck Baker. His came in 56 at Orange Speedway. In 54, it was at Wilson Speedway. In between there, it was Tim Flock at the Arizona State Fairgrounds in 1955. Okay. Uh, just a uh, note here that we do have an article over at tamperacing.com that talks about NASCAR's unveiling of the next-gen cars. So I'd really encourage everybody to hop over there and uh, check out those cars because uh, they are what everybody was hoping for, I think, uh, in those cars. And, of course, there's a lot of testing that's going on uh, with this next-gen car that will be on the track next season. In the meantime, we've got the throwback weekend at Historic Darlington Raceway this weekend and nothing better than honoring the past and paying tribute to the folks that paved the way for what we know as the Cup Series today. This weekend at Darlington, the NASCAR heroes of today and yesteryear 
will come together to celebrate the throwback weekend as the series competes in the 12th race of the season, the Goodyear 400, that will take place on Sunday. Many of the drivers are paying tribute to the past this weekend with very special paint schemes on their cars. For a very detailed list of those paint schemes, uh, you can go to uh, visit NASCAR.com, and they have the Throwback Weekend photo gallery there, uh, as well as Jayski's has a list of all of them as well. Now, Darlington is a perfect stage for Throwback Weekend, the historic 1.366-mile egg-shaped oval, paved oval, has hosted 119 Cup Series races dating back to 1950. The raceway was built on the 1.25-mile paved super speedway in 1949 to 50 and hosted the first 500 mile race in nascar history and the first on asphalt in september 4th also of 1950. a total of 75 cars competed in the inaugural event with curtis turner won the pole at 82.034 miles per hour and the race was won by johnny mance in a plymouth going 75.250 miles per hour The race took six hours and 38 minutes and 40 seconds to complete. Since then, Darlington has undergone some other changes uh, through the years. In 1953, the track was remeasured to 1.375 miles. Then in 70, the track was reconfigured to 1.366 miles after the spring race of that season. The track was repaved in 1995 and then again prior to the 2008 season. And over the years, the historic facility has become known amongst the competitors as the track too tough to tame. In total, the 119 cup races have produced 51 different pole winners and 51 different race winners. Six of the 51 Cup pole winners at Darlington Raceway are active this weekend, including Kevin Harvick with two, Kirk Bush with two, Brad Kozlowski, Ryan Newman, Denny Hamlin, and William Byron each have one pole. NASCAR Hall of Famer David Pearson leads the series in poles at Darlington with 12 from 67, 70, 72, 73 sweeps, 75 sweeps, 77, 78, and 82. Kurt Busch in 2001 and 13, Kevin Harvick in 14 and 17 lead all drivers in polls at Darlington with two each. Uh, We mentioned these race winners before, but again, Kevin Harvick has three in 20, two in 2020, one in 14, Denny Hamlin three in 2020, 17 and 10, Eric Jones with one in 19, Brad Keselowski in 18, Martin Truex Jr. in 16, and Kyle Busch in 2008. Um, David Pearson leads the series in victories at Darlington with 10, uh, followed by Dale Earnhardt with 9, Jeff Gordon with 7, Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin lead all active drivers with their three wins. This weekend's Goodyear 400. Uh, will be broken up in the three stages that we talked about. Uh, and because of the metric qualifying system that's being used, Brad Keselowski will start from the pole, and Kevin Harvick, the defending winner of this race last season, will join Keselowski on the front row. So there you have it. Uh, we're a little behind. Uh, our NASCAR Hot Topics is next on our agenda here. 
And I have a couple of guys waiting in the queue here for us to get started with that. So let's uh, jump over. And first of all, we will welcome uh, Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, how's everybody doing tonight? Very well. And also joining us is uh, Tommy Kraft. <laughs> I had a uh, loss of memory for a second there, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's been a while. Thanks for uh, having me back. I'm excited. Well, we're happy to have you back. Uh, it looks like Jay stepped off for a minute. I think he's going to be returning. Uh, but, uh, Mike, let's go ahead and start with you with the first hot topic. For- well, I know you've already touched on it earlier in the show, but it's time to discuss the big news of the week. On the 5th, uh, a couple of days ago, NASCAR unveiled a Gen 7 or the next-gen car. Uh, we didn't see the big surprise of a, of a new manufacturer, but there were still plenty of surprises that came in with the, uh, with the unveiling of it, both in terms of the mechanical changes as well as the style changes and some of the things that they're looking to do in terms of part suppliers and whatnot. So let's get into talking about it. Okay, Tommy, we'll let you go first. I really like the way they look. Uh, They do look like um, street cars, kind of. Um, I understand the part about how it doesn't really look stock anymore, but um, it was time for that change, I believe, in my opinion. And the Mustang and the Camaro, well, all three of them look really good, but I really like the way the Mustang look, and I'm actually kind of a Chevy person. So, um, <laughs> uh, actually, I kind of thought that the Supra was going to be, uh, for some reason, I thought the Supra was going to be in it instead of the Camry, but um, I still like the way the Camry look is, as well. And I believe I saw all the pictures and angles I saw didn't really show the back end, but when I finally did get to see the back end of the cars, it looked like they had the uh, the taillights on them uh, too, and they were they were almost like glowing. So it really, like I said, really does look like a street car. But um, I'm really excited, and I did see the changes as well for the um, the racing, which seems to me that they're going to make it more. Uh, um, like uh, more of a passing now, uh, I believe, so with that new setup. And uh, I'm just really excited to see it hit the track in 2022, and maybe they still have that surprise tucked away for us. Okay. Uh, Jay, we're talking about the unveiling of uh, the next-gen car and your thoughts about uh, all of that. Well, one thing I had to say there, and i, I got to agree with Tommy, I'm a Chevy guy for the most part, but I do think the Ford Mustang was the, the best-looking change, if you will. Um, as far as the, the – I like the fact that they did attempt to make it the street-looking car. Uh, I understand from the manufacturer's side that, that goal of that. Um, but they also got to keep it – and I, I hate to use the word stock, but – within a template for NASCAR versus the uh, wide open that we used to see of whatever you brought, you could run. So uh, finding that combination to to suit the manufacturers and the fans' need, as well as keeping it fair and equal on the competition side, I think they did a good job with. The on-track performance is where, you know, I really want to see how it does. Uh, Tommy mentioned a couple of things there uh, without getting too detailed, but 
the plan is for it to need more mechanical grip and driver input uh, versus being aero-dependent, which I think is a great thing, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, I know they've been working on this for several years, a little bit by little bit. I hope, uh, hoping that this one puts it uh, a little bit further and all the way to where we want to see it because, uh, again, it's where it's not so aero-dependent. You can make passes, and it'll be, be back more in the driver's hands, as they say. So hopefully that pans out. We will have to wait and see until they get them on track to find that out. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I really think that they did a good job of uh, showing the differences. You can tell that the Camry is a Camry. You can tell that the Mustang is a Mustang. You can tell that the Ford is a Ford. I mean, uh, that the Chevy is a Chevy. And, uh, you know, the differences are, are very clear. And like Jay said, and I think Tommy said it as well, uh, it seems like they've kept it, they've had to keep it uh, so that there's no unfair advantage to one manufacturer over the other. Uh, but the differences are still there. So that, that, that they did a good job with that. As far as the technology, it looks like they're trying to uh, put some more advanced technology into the uh, uh, into the cars, uh, the, so they're moving it into the modern era, if you will, with the independent rear suspension, the rack and pinion steering system, the drive line, and the opportunity for the powertrain advancements as the world changes for the future of powertrains are all built in. So. Uh, it sounds to me like they're, they're really uh, making that jump into uh, modern technology with these cars, and, and I applaud NASCAR for doing that. I know a lot of folks want us to race like we, you know, in cars like we did back in the 1950s or 60s or 70s, and it's just not realistic. You, you've got to move into the future with these cars, and I think that's uh, exactly what these guys are doing uh, with these cars. It's a shame we had to delay it last year because of the pandemic, but I think that that wait is going to be well worth the wait. Um, they're, they're doing a lot of testing, uh, and I was really happy to see that they're testing with a lot of cars on the track, not just a few cars going around and testing their car individually on the track. They are going to be doing testing with a multitude of cars on the track so that they can see how it does in traffic and uh, that sort of thing. So I was pleased with everything uh, that uh, uh, was unveiled, and I thought it was really cool the way they did it with with all the smoke and the curtain rising and, and all of that as well. I thought it was very dramatic and a lot of fun for the fans to watch. So, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, there were a couple. Obviously, there was a bunch of rumors. We had the leaked picture of the Chevy and the Ford a few days prior to the unveiling. Um, there were a couple of surprises, though. Uh, I'm with Tommy. I'm surprised that Toyota stuck with the Camry. Uh, we saw them go to the Supra nameplate and body style, or at least the nose style on the NASCAR Xfinity Series several seasons ago. And this seems like it would have been a, a great opportunity for Toyota to transition the Supra into being the NASCAR Cup Series car as well. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't do it. I'm sure they had their reasons. Uh, with that said, I think that all three offerings look good. I agree with you all. They are very recognizable for their street versions. Obviously, there's still some differences to them. Um, but I think uh, overall, very happy with how all three of those cars look. Uh, another big surprise that I didn't see in any of the uh, – 
rumors or things that we were talking about before. We knew they were going to 18-inch wheels. We knew they were going to an independent rear suspension. What I didn't see before that was a big surprise to me is they went to a rear-mounted transaxle with the car. And what that means now is instead of being immediately behind the engine and pretty much right next to the driver, the transmission is now moved to the back of the car. Back in the late 90s, Chevrolet did that with the Corvette uh, for the 1997 and newer model year. And what that does is it shifts the weight of the car. Because you're moving that big transmission all the way to the back, it balances the car out a lot more, and it creates almost a 50-50 weight distribution between the axles. Because of that and the independent rear suspension and the bigger brakes, it really looks like these cars are going to be much closer to like an IMSA-style sports car versus a traditional stock car. I think we're going to see some very, very different racing as well as very different mechanical setup strategies with this Gen 7 car because of those uh, mechanical changes, and I really look forward to seeing it. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up. Yeah, I just, I'm just excited to see it on the uh, track, especially now that it's going to be more of a driver's input. Um, that was what I was looking to say back there, set up uh, more passing. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Um, and I actually did want to add on, I think that maybe it was just the way that they painted those cars. But to me, the Mustang did have the most pop to it. And then I was actually kind of disappointed in the Camaro. But then when I looked at it again, I actually – um, like that one too. So I like all three of them. I'm just ready to see it, and uh, hopefully they'll still surprise us with something um, later on down the line. But I, I'm ready to see this different type of racing, and um, maybe one day it'll be a somehow or another it'll be a perfect balance between a street car and a stock car. Okay, Jay, your follow up. Well, with that, as Sharon said, you got to move into the future. And I know listening to Dave Moody, when he gets these calls, the stock cars, you got to go back as far as 50s to 60s. After the 60s, they weren't even really truly stock cars anymore. So these fans that are screaming for that of, you know, we want to keep it a stock car, it hasn't been a stock car for almost half a century. So uh, I don't want to be rude about it, but, yeah, you got to move on and into the future. <laughs> Uh, you know, there, there's only so much you can hang on to and so long you can hold out when it comes to that. Uh, I was trying to read real quick through here. I know it wasn't the exact same as the Xfinity series with the composite body, but they did also go in that direction that the car will be able to sustain more bumping and banging, if you will, without it greatly affecting the car itself and how the car handles so I think that was a great direction, too. I know they weren't ready to go to the full composite body like the Xfinity Series or the Arca Series, but a step in that direction, I think, is a big thing. Like you said, we've said, it goes back to it not just being about the arrow of the car, but more the driver and the mechanical grip of it versus the arrow grip. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, but, you know, some of the things that were said by the fans that were at the unveiling uh, is that the things they noticed right away is that uh, that it has a lower roof line, a longer sleeker hood area, a smaller, racier rear deck lid area, and more effectively protected wheels that feature, get this, a single central lug nut 
instead of the five lug studs that they're currently being used. So I don't think a lot of us expected that to happen for a while. Uh, so that's a, that's going to be a big change uh, for these cars and the racing uh, that we're going to see next year. So. Uh, you know, that's been a big safety issue with uh, missing lug nuts or loose lug nuts all year uh, ever since they went to that. So this one lug nut thing is going to be a whole new deal. Mike? Yeah, like Jay said, everyone is really excited about the car. It looks cool. The ideas that they've done with it and far, as far as the changes that they've made, both mechanically or dynamically and whatnot, they, they seem like they're steps in the right direction. Um, but really what it's going to come down to is the on-track product. Will this car mm-hmm. produce the better racing that NASCAR is saying that it will? I think it will. Uh, I think they, they've taken a lot of steps to reduce the aero dependency on these cars, and that's been the biggest complaint from drivers and from fans is that the Gen 6 car is too aerodynamically dependent, and dirty air tends to interrupt the flow of a race and really make it difficult to pass at a lot of racetracks, particularly the intermediate 1.5-mile tracks. So hopefully the changes that NASCAR made with the Gen 7 car are steps in the right direction to put it more in the driver's hands as opposed to just aerodynamics. I'm sure the, the team engineers are going to figure out a way to engineer all the fun back out of it like they always seem to. But hopefully for a little while, <laughs> at least we got some good solid racing out of the car. Okay. Uh, so it finally came and gone, and now we get to see what happens with the testing there. Okay, Tommy, what's your next topic? Let's go with the uh, SRX unveiling their uh, format for the six short track race um, in June, starting in June. Right. I think it's June 11th is their first race. Uh, Okay. So I hear what you have to say, Jay. Well, I was going to say, I hadn't actually seen that one. I'm looking at it looking at it right now uh, with the two-foot, as it say, two 15-minute heat races that will set the field for a 100-lap feature race. Uh, with the program of what they're looking at, especially when it comes to dirt track, short track racing, uh, that seems to be the best direction to go. Uh, I'm not sure about the, the, fifth, the timed heat races. Uh, that's a little different, but... I think we even talked about that at the the cup level when when uh, I know that uh, IMSA does the timed races as well as motocross had gone to that, and I have watched that. Uh, it's one of those of if they were to change that at the cup level, I'd have to see it in action, and I kind of have mixed feelings about it. So, again, I don't know if they've worked uh, kind of side-by-side side with Tony Stewart on this as far as looking that as a test ground for it because uh, we have heard that as far as the cup races being timed events versus lap, uh, lap count events. Uh, so that will be interesting to see how those work out. Um, definitely for their program, I think it fits. They're doing something new and different, so I think it fits into their program really well. Okay. Mike. 
Yeah, I found it to be interesting that they went with a combination of timed races for the qualifying heats or whatever you want to call them. Uh, Jay's more familiar with the dirt track nomenclature than I am, so you know, forgive me if I get that a little bit off. But anyway, the, the time format for the qualifying heats and then a fixed distance or fixed lap count for the, uh, for the, for the main. Um, it's an interesting format. I don't know that there's any uh, racing series that does a blend between timed races or distance races. Obviously, Jay mentioned IMSA tends to do uh, timed races versus NASCAR does fixed distance, and so does IndyCar. So it's really interesting to see how that sorts out. Uh, probably has a lot to do with the CBS uh, broadcast being a big part of the whole series. Uh, I'm sure the, the CBS having some control of how the series is structured, I think they probably looked at the product that Fox and NBC have had to deal with over the past several years and maybe came up with a better way to hopefully fit it within that time slot box versus risking running it over time like NASCAR tends to do if a race has some sort of a red flag delay or something like that. That may be what's influencing going to uh, at least some portions of the event being timed versus fixed distance. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Mike. Uh, let me correct myself here. I said June 11th was going to be the first race. It's actually on June the 12th at Stafford Motor Speedway, and uh, there will be a live broadcast of that race at 8 p.m. Eastern and CBS. So uh, definitely mark your calendars for it. Um, the other thing, in addition to the things that you guys mentioned, is the invert that they're going to do in the second heat race. Uh, so a driver's finishing position in heat one are inverted for the start of heat two. And uh, that the, the lineup is based on the finishing position of the second heat race. Also, there's an unlimited green-white checkered flags uh, for the finish, which I think is pretty cool as well. And I don't know if they do this in other series or not, but... Uh, I thought it was interesting that they're awarding points in both the heat races as well as the feature race. So uh, they, can, they can really rack up some points uh, in, in both of those heat races before they even start the feature race. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. So just some things that I noticed about it that seemed a little different to me. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see them. Tommy, what are your thoughts? Uh, more racing, so I'm super excited as always. Uh, more racing, the better. And uh, now they got two heat races. I really like the way that it's set up, that they do it one way and then they invert it for the next race. Um, they do points in the heat races, heat races which is unique. Um, what I want to say about this, though, is, is um, I'm just super ready to see this Tony Stewart, Bobby Labonte, Michael Waltrip, and Bill Elliott, people that I, that I grew up watching, like, that was kind of my group because I don't really remember anything in between 95 and 01 besides, in 01, you know, what happened there. But uh, after that, I remember all those guys, so Waltrip and Labonte and all of them. I just remember them, so I'm super excited for this. And uh, they're back on the track. But uh, I want to bring out this, too. I saw in the group chat a couple of days ago that um, Schrader was the guy that tested these cars, and uh, why not put him in there? 
I agree. I mean, why not? Uh, he still races in dirt from what I read all the time, and uh, I miss I miss seeing him on the track. So I wish they would have put him in a car too. But um, I think that Tony Stewart will probably dominate this. Um, Haley Deegan's in it, and they've got a uh, unique uh, heat race or two heat races before each race, which is just awesome. So I'm super excited. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, you're you're right. Uh, it would have been nice to see Schrader in one of the w- one of the cars too for the events, but you couldn't ask for anybody to test this and set these cars up for him when it comes to dirt track racing. And and believe it or not, I know it's only six events. We've talked about this with some of the other top name drivers. He may not have enough time because I think he still does forty to fifty races a year, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> uh, throughout the country, not just in one area. Um, couple of questions I can kind of kind of clear up a, a why you're, you're thinking about this being different with the point standings. When you talk about two heat races, if you're inverting the second one and then from that going into the feature, you get the sandbagging issue of fans, whether they are or not, fans want to put it out there that drivers are going to sandbag, drop to the rear of the first one, start up front in the second one, get that better position mm-hmm. for the feature. That's why those points, just like stage racing, you put points on the line throughout the race, or in this case, these heat races, so that doesn't happen. You know, if somebody's doing that, they're going to come out behind in points when it comes to long-term championship run. Second off, it is also a matter of if you have a bad finish, not of your doing, uh, you know, it's not indicative of where you were running, it softens the blow of a final championship you know, you get that mulligan, if you will, or you can build up points, maybe not have the great finish, but have built up some points. You, you know, something on the car breaks. It's not a total loss for the night or for the weekend. Uh, that's one of the reasons that, that that works. And when a lot of your series, when it comes to dirt tracks, face that issue when you talk about an invert or the heat races or what they truly mean other than starting position, so that's why they put those points in there, I think, especially with the invert. So you, you can't have somebody sandbagging. Uh, if they do, somebody else is going to outpoint them. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? I think this format's going to go a long way to kind of developing SRX's own identity. Uh, one of the problems with IROC, and I know SRX gets compared to IROC a lot because there are a lot of parallels there. One of the complaints about IROC was that it was just basically NASCAR with Camaros and Firebirds, and it was a very similar format to NASCAR in terms of how the race was conducted that was predominantly run on NASCAR tracks on NASCAR weekends. So having SRX carve out its own identity might help differentiate it from IROC and hopefully avoid some of the mistakes that IROC made that led to the series not being around anymore. I'm interested to see how this plays out. Um, definitely a unique format and a unique way of, uh, of running the races, and I think it's a good balance between the putting on a show entertainment value while still maintaining the integrity of a race. So I'm really interested to see how this plays out on the racetrack. Okay. And and keep in mind too, it's going back to some of the grassroots uh, type tracks uh, versus like Jay was talking about going to the same NASCAR tracks all the time. Uh, So that's, that's kind of cool as well. I don't have a whole lot more to add to it. Uh, You guys brought some clarification uh, to some parts of this, and I think that's good. And, uh, Tommy, I'm ready for your final words.
Did we lose Tommy? Sorry, I forgot to unmute it. Um, I was just going to say that uh, I forgot to add that the tracks that they're going to are different from NASCAR tracks, which is another thing that I'd like to charge us talking about, like Slinger Speedway. And um, I believe they're going back to Eldora, and uh, they're going to Knoxville, which I believe the trucks are going there. So, um, And I think Haley Deegan says she was going to run the Knoxville race at SRX. So she'll be running two races there. Um, but I just wanted to add one last thing. Another uh, driver that they could have possibly have added that would have made it interesting would have been Juan Pablo Montoya. Okay. Um, okay, now before we go to Mike with the next topic, I'll go ahead and do my spiel here so that I don't have to interrupt anybody. How about that? Um <laughs> We're coming up on 10, uh, 10.30 mark here of our show, and uh, we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And so for anybody who's listening for the first time tonight, we like to let you know uh, that that's going to happen because what happens is we go off the air as we're talking in mid-sentence, and you can hear the rest of our conversation on our podcast as part of the bonus overtime material. So uh, all you have to do is when we finish up here, I put a, uh, I go out on Twitter and do a post just to let everybody know that the podcast is available. All you have to do is fast forward to that two-hour mark in order to hear the rest of the conversation as, the, um, as part of that bonus overtime material. So, again, we like to just alert our listeners, especially the new listeners, uh, that that is happening so that uh, it doesn't come as a big surprise when it does happen. So, Mike, with that, let's go ahead and go on to our next top topic. Well, in the interest of fairness, I believe I went first and then Tommy, so I think Jay's oh, up if he's you're got right. one. You're, you're absolutely correct. I wrote this down wrong. Jay, you're up next. You're such, a, you're such a courteous gentleman, Mike. Uh, yeah, and the, otherwise. <laughs> part of the announcement with the Gen 7 car that I saw, going back to that, teams are going to be uh, limited to, I believe the number was seven cars. Uh, that was a bit of a shock to me. I understand it's a cost-saving measure, but I wanted to see what your guys thought, especially with the number being at seven. You mean seven cars for the year? Or seven cars, like right now they're limited to four. No, that is seven cars for the year. Uh, if if I read okay. that correctly, and I'm trying to find that back on where I found that, that each team would then only be allowed to have seven cars in their inventory. And that would be per team. So Hendrick Motorsports would have 28, I guess, if you will. Okay. Okay, Mike, you're up first. Yeah, this is a big change. Uh, we've talked about it before. One of the big goals of the Gen 7 car was to reduce the cost of participation for all these teams. Uh, obviously, Hedrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas, they can afford to have 10, 15, 20 individual cars, what, basically one built for every single track on the, on the schedule. And if you've ever been to one of those race shops, Hedrick Motorsports, for example, you go in there and they've got bay after bay full of race cars, all in various states of preparation. 
But I bet you if you went somewhere like Spire Motorsports, they might have one or two cars up on jack stands and trying to get ready for each, each weekend with the same car they brought the previous weekend. So limiting teams to only seven cars for the season, I think, is a big step forward in terms of reducing the overall cost for participation, especially for the teams who are trying to break into the sport or to improve themselves in the sport. Um, now, one stipulation is if a car is destroyed in a crash, uh, the team can build another car. So if, if a team's involved in seven wrecks throughout the season, it's not like they're going to be out of the, out of the season. Uh, they can still build another car and continue to participate. Um, and it kind of goes along the same lines of there's only a list of, I want to say, 60 different vendors that are providing parts for the car. And those are the only vendors that can provide those parts. The parts must be purchased from those vendors, and teams cannot fabricate their own parts uh, with very few exceptions uh, all the parts to build these cars have to come from that specific list of vendors, again, to hopefully limit teams being able to dump endless sums of money onto research, development, engineering, and wind tunnel testing, and not so much reduce the advantage, but maybe give a little bit of help to teams that can't afford that massive R&D and engineering department of some of the mega teams. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? Well, I was going to say uh, what what happens if they get in seven wrecks, but uh, that uh, that cleared up uh, that uh, that question of mine. So, um, but uh, I'm super excited that it's going to make it more competitive for everybody else. Is what it sounds like because what Michael just uh, Mike just said was that smaller teams can now compete with the uh, the larger teams a little bit. So. I'm super excited for that um, because you usually don't really see the smaller teams compete unless it's a strategy or if they're at, like, Talladega or Daytona usually. But, um, yeah, I also thought at first when we were talking about this that when the number was seven, I thought that that meant that they were going from, like, four like they could have four teammates to having seven. I was like, wow, that's somebody's going to be doing some expanding to five, six cars. But um, no, I just uh, I don't really have much more to say on this. Okay, yeah, I I think it's really good um, as a cost saving measure. I know Michael Jordan said that was one of the factors that caused him to make the moves that he made when he did, is because he knew some of the things that were going to be coming out with this next generation car. So um. You know, if a guy like Michael Jordan is saying that, you you know that the, any of these uh, new teams that are thinking about coming into uh, this sport, that's going to be a huge, huge factor. So I think it's a smart move, and uh, uh, I applaud NASCAR for doing it. And I think I think as far as the parts and everything, it it, it does take it away from the old uh, stock car kind of field that we've known before everybody getting the same parts, but we've been asking for that. Uh, along with asking for the old stock car stuff, we've been asking for more parity in the sport. Well, this is how you get to more parity in the sport, uh, with everybody getting the same equipment uh, from the same vendor and no modifications uh, to it. So I think it's all good, and I think we've seen a lot of really great racing this year, uh, it, it makes me a little excited for the racing next year. I just hope the one thing I hope doesn't happen is we've seen such good racing this year. I hope we don't 
uh, go through, I'm sure we will to some degree, uh, that growing curve for, I hope it doesn't slow down the momentum of the entertainment value that we have on the track now. So, Jay, your thoughts. I do like the direction they're going with that, with putting a limit on it. And I know we heard this, I believe it was with the car tomorrow, that one car could run on any style of track. And that's what they're saying with this and why you don't need the unlimited fleet. And I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. I was a little surprised that it was as low as the number seven. Again, your top teams are the top teams for a reason. They got the sponsorship. They got the backing. They got the money. Um, You're talking about a month. Because uh, you're always going to have the, a primary car and a backup car with you. So two cars, three weeks is six cars if you want to look at it that way. Uh, you know, So I would have thought maybe it would have been around 10. I, I'm not against them limiting it because uh, I do think that it does put it on a, on a little bit different uh, level. Uh, you know, When you talk about that, if Hendrick Motorsports probably has their super speedway cars, their road course cars, their mile and a half cars, their short track cars. Whereas a team, uh, and you pick any of the, the back half of the field, uh, as Mike said, that, you know, they got two cars and that's the two they're bringing to the track that day or, you know, maybe have to risk not even bringing a backup car, which is why you maybe see, unfortunately, the starting part because they know they can't afford to wreck that car if they want to wreck the race the next week. But I do, I do like the direction of it. I was just a little shocked that it was that low um, of a number to start with uh, anyway. When we talk about next year and what Sharon was talking about with the the excitement level of what what could come next year, there's a couple different possibilities. I see where maybe we see, like we have this year, a variety of winners, but what we may also see, at least to start this season, is one team that hits on it or figures it out first, going to be dominant Mm -hmm. for a little while anyway. Uh, You know, and we've seen that normally it's a negative trend, um, we take a look at the Chevy Chevy uh, Camaro, the ZL1, when it came in, like they didn't have a handle on it, so we didn't see them up front as much. It took them a little while to catch up. I think here is a case of you're going to see one team, uh, manufacturer-wise or individual team within a manufacturer, hit on it and be dominant to start, and everybody else going to have to catch up. So we may have to ride that uh, Jimmy Johnson era where nobody can beat a certain driver <laughs> Okay, Mike, follow-up. My one concern here is not so much with the car limitation, it's with the, the spec parts. And I hope that lessons have been learned and applied from when NASCAR mandated the spec air gun for changing tires, as well as the Elmore engines of the truck series. One big complaint that teams have, um, and it was a, a lot of, you know, looking at some articles, there was a big concern with the, the Gen 7 car, was, when a team builds a part, whether it's an engine or an air gun or anything else, and that part breaks, they got one guy to blame, and it's the guy looking at him in the mirror whenever they go to the bathroom, right? But if NASCAR says you must use this part and you have no option to modify it or create your own or do anything to it to improve it, well, now that, that responsibility is on NASCAR to provide those teams with parts that are reliable, dependable, affordable, and aren't going to be some sort of a a trending failure like we saw at the truck race at Las Vegas a couple years ago where 
through no fault of their own, teams were taken out of contention because of the failure of parts that they were specifically mandated to use. So I really hope some lessons have been learned and applied here, and we don't see an issue that affects competition where a parts supplier is supplying parts that aren't sufficient to meet whatever demand that that part has to go through, and we don't see that affecting the racing. So that's something to look out for, especially at the beginning of next season. Okay, Tommy. Yeah, I did see the list of parts as well, and uh, I also thought the same. I was like, wow, there's not really a lot of names on here. So, um, But uh, you guys have been hitting all the points about the how the suppliers and everything works out. But um, Jay actually answered one of my questions, too, that I was thinking was um, I knew that in, like, how things work now is, Sometimes if they win at Daytona and they can keep that car, well, I know if you win the 500, you don't get to keep it. But if you win at a super speedway, they tend to keep that car and use it at the next speedway race. And then they have cars for the mile and a halfers and road courses and short tracks. So now they're cutting the cutting that out and saving money, which is a, which is a good thing. And uh, Jay also said that, that this car can run on all, all tracks. There's no need for all the different types of cars. So I'm super excited. I'm just ready to see the car on the track now and all the racing. That's what I'm ready for. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I know there's going to be a little bit of a transition thing. I hope it's a small transition thing um, as we transition into it. I hope it doesn't uh, – I, I hope we're not talking months over weeks. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out. I'm I'm super excited for it to come. So, Jay, I don't have much more than that to add. Your thoughts to wrap it up? Well, I think your bigger teams, such as such as Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, Hendrick Motorsports, and Stuart Haas Racing, and I named those four because those are the four four-car operations, are probably still going to whether they think the car is the same or whatever they put into it, have one or two designated super speedway cars, one or two road course cars, um, you know, and then four, three or four of the mile and a half, which again is your heart of the heart of the season still, um, kind of slotted for that. But it prevents them from, and I know especially with the way these are now that you can't do any kind of modifications to parts or anything else, um, from specifically building ones for that. But it goes back to no matter what rules, and I think Mike said it earlier, the engineers, they're going to find a way to push that gray area, push up against that line. Uh, Like I said, I I would think that each each organization would probably have one of their seven still be a super speedway car, whether NASCAR says, hey, you don't need it, the cars are going to run the same no matter what they're going to find a way. They're going to find that little thing in each one of them. They're going to be like, yeah, this is our super speedway car. For whatever reason, they're going to think it is and and make it so. Um, But then it does prevent them from specifically designing that. The only other aspect of that, though, of no matter where NASCAR tries to to reduce the limit, it's helping the lower end if you will, to get into the sport and and start and become competitive. But these top teams still have that money. They're going to find somewhere else to spend that money, Uh, you know, whether it be in research and development. I know they limited wind tunnel time, okay? They they found a way around that. 
different things. They're going to find a way. They're going to still be the top teams for a reason. And then going into next season, I think, I'm hoping anyway, it talks about it being back in the driver's hands. Uh, I think we're going to see maybe a rebound, and it would depend on how they fit with the car, but your top driver's pure driving talent, such as Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and a couple others that Brad Keselowski, I think I'd have to put into that. And guys like Kyle Larson that can really manhandle a car. Uh, I think you're going to see that play into their favor, at least, again, to start with until these other drivers learn what they need to do to match up to that level. Okay. So with that, Mike, we're ready to move on to the next hot topic. You get to kick that off. You know, we've got well, a little time left. Today, yeah, this came out today. I believe it was Bob Pockris, uh posted out that Jeremy Bullins, crew chief for Brad Keselowski's number two uh, Ford, is going to be out this weekend at Darlington. They just said it was a protocol issue. They didn't say COVID, but I'm assuming it's, it's a COVID deal. So Brad Keselowski won at Darlington two years ago. Uh, do we think it's going to affect him losing his crew chief this weekend? And if so, how do you, uh, how do you work around that? Okay, Tommy? I think Brad will be fine. Um, like you said, uh, he won a couple of years ago. I actually think he's won there a, a couple times maybe. I, I might be wrong. But the, the year he did win, though, I do remember that paint scheme that he had to throw back for Rusty Wallace, and that was awesome. So, um, But I'm sure Brad will be fine. He's a veteran, and um, he already lost his crew chief once this year, I believe, at Atlanta. Um it probably will affect him a little bit more at Darlington because I believe that Darlington's one of those older tracks where you you know you need a crew chief and then you got a tire wear. It's just one of those tracks where it's a combination of everything, and um, it probably does hurt him a little bit. But at the same time, like I said, Brad's a veteran. I'm sure figure it out, and I'm sure he'll be competing in the top fifteen all day, top ten probably. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. We've talked about this before, whether it be due to a baby watch or whatever personal reasons. In this case, I'm with Mike. I think it was, it did say just protocol. I assume, too, that it was the the COVID protocol. Uh, we don't know that for sure, I guess. but Or whether it's due to a suspension, that the crew chief being gone really isn't limiting these guys because if whoever they put in, I don't know who it is they're bringing in to replace Bullens, but... If he has any doubts about calling that race, a phone call, a message, and he's going to get Bowen's uh, opinion and input on it anyway. Uh, You know, you can essentially crew chief from your home on the couch at that point. Um, So I don't see it as a big issue. Uh, My concern would be if it is for for the COVID protocol, again, the health of of him and uh, any that he was exposed to within the team. Um, So, But as far as the one race without your crew chief, I think we've seen that in the past that that's, that's really not a detriment, which I don't, that's why I don't agree with NASCAR's one race suspension of a crew chief either. Yeah. I You said it all, Jay. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, suspending the crew chief, uh, you know, never seems to really make a difference for a team. Uh, and a lot of these times when they put in, uh, the substitute is somebody who's been with the team, has been working with the crew chief, and 
kind of knows what the crew chief would do in, in uh, certain situations that they're able to kind of uh, act on it. So I think a lot of these teams have that depth and, and uh, you know, losing the crew chief's uh, uh, isn't going to affect Brad Keselowski at all. I think Brad's still going to go out there and do everything that he needs to do to go try to go after a victory. So, uh, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. This is kind of a weird one. I, I completely agree with you guys. You know, crew chief suspension, not a big deal. The thing that caught my attention is the lack of information with this. Uh, a lot of times if there's you know, a baby watch or something like that, we get a little bit more information, and the only thing that we've really got is Jeremy Bones isn't going to be at Darlington this weekend. Now, this is completely speculation on my part. I hope all is well, but maybe there is some sort of a circumstance that's going to keep him from being able to watch the race and call in with any sort of input and, and race calling assistance that he might be able to give if he was just suspended and sitting on the couch at home. So I hope all is well with Jeremy Bollins. Uh, I hope to see him back here at the track. But I think this may end up going a little bit deeper than a normal crew chief suspension and that it does take him completely out of pocket in terms of being able to contribute to the team this weekend. And I'm interested to see how that plays out. Now, Tommy, I was at that race that Brad Keselowski won. Uh, I think it was the 2017 Southern 500 he won that race. And you're right, that Rusty Wall throwback looked real sharp out on that racetrack. Okay, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, I really liked that paint scheme that year. Um, he he had some good ones that he threw back to Rusty Wallace, which was awesome. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually with you too. I thought it was weird that they did not really share much of it because they have been saying, you know, you know, he doesn't have COVID, but his protocol, or he does have COVID, he'll be out. But this just says out that's pretty much it but um maybe there's more to it maybe there is a suspension or something or behind uh just a speculation i don't i don't know that but just just maybe or maybe he's on baby watch but uh i still think brad will be okay he's usually pretty good at darlington so i don't i don't see it as being an issue okay jay well, and with with the, it being Darlington specific, obviously, uh, for the most part, it's not like there's going to be a tire strategy call because we all know Darlington, you get the chance, you take four tires, four, what, well, I don't remember how Clint Boyer said it, four, make you, you feel good, feel good. Yeah, there you go. Um, the, the only thing that when we talk about a crew chief being missing is that understanding especially as it builds over time between a driver and a crew chief if and in this case we're talking about brad keselowski and and bullens of if he says hey i'm a tick tight okay jeremy knows that okay a tick tight means i need to do this whereas a new crew chief or a substitute crew chief might not know exactly what a tick means and how much to, to adjust the car little things like that that uh i know i've heard several uh crew chiefs say they can tell when they ask a driver of how loose it is when they say it's loose or it's loose uh, and the the voice you know that they can tell from that so you do lose a little bit from that aspect of it but especially at this top team Sharon said it the depth they have uh who they're bringing in is probably one that's been sitting right there by the the crew chief and pretty much knows the playbook by heart anyway so i don't think it will be a huge factor 
if it goes beyond this weekend, uh, maybe we'll get some more information on that. We'll have to wait and see because uh, there, there's too many things to even possibly speculate on there. Yeah, it sounds to me like somebody on the team was, uh, you know, exposed to COVID and exposed to other members of the team and so on and so forth. Um, and that's why he's out. Now, how long that lasts, it's hard to say. But I guess every team has that protocol. If you are exposed, you have to let people know. And maybe it wasn't even somebody on the team. Maybe it was a birthday party. And he was exposed at the birthday party. Somebody later came up with COVID, and now he can't even be at the race shop because uh, of the exposure to COVID. Um, But they did say that the engineer, Grant Hutchins, is going to be the crew chief for Keselowski this weekend. He's the engineer there. And uh, he was actually Keselowski's crew chief at Atlanta after a lug nut penalty at Phoenix. So, you know, this guy's done it before. Uh, and, again, I just don't see it really making that much of a difference in this situation, just like I don't see it makes that much of a difference when they – tend to want to call it a penalty uh, when the crew chief can't be there. But, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, hopefully they will give us more information. But that's what it sounds like to me. So, Mike, your thoughts to wrap it up. I know we've been doing a lot of speculating about what may or may not be going on here. Uh, I think we're all on on the same page here. Whatever's going on, Jeremy Bowens, whether it's something with him, his family, anyone in his sphere that he, he, he works around, wish them the very best. Hopefully we see him back at the track. We've kind of been talking about them not providing us a lot of information, but remember, they don't owe us anything. Uh, obviously, they, they push mm-hmm. out their team rosters for who's going to be at the track every weekend, but just because they didn't provide us any information doesn't mean that they're shorting us on something they otherwise owe us. So hopefully we, uh, we get to see this play out. We get Jeremy back at the track soon and hope more than anything else that this COVID thing is behind us sooner rather than later and we stop having to worry about it so much. <laughs> okay. So, Tommy, you're up next. Uh, we've still got a few minutes here. Maybe we can do a quick one here. Um, so since it's throwback weekend at Darlington, um, let's bring up the paint schemes. What is what does everybody think? Favorites, ones they don't like? What what are thoughts? Okay. Jay, you're up first. Uh I can't possibly think of one I don't like and and from the one I've seen I'm not even gonna attempt to pick a favorite. Uh, you know, I do. I guess there are certain ones. I, uh, I really like there are a couple of the Earnhardt ones that, that I've seen so far. But all of it and all, all in all, I think is just phenomenal. Uh, you know, because each one, some of them are family-related. Some of them go back to, we've seen ones go back to modifieds, late models. I just love the whole thing. And, Sharon, you mentioned it earlier. Whoever came up with that, uh, just an outstanding <laughs> job. And I really think when it initially came, it was a one-time see what happens. And we look at it, what it is today of all the series across the board. Uh, I don't think they imagined that when they said, hey, let's try this for one race, one weekend. Exactly. <laughs> it's really, really going well. So, Mike, your thoughts? All right, so I've got some objective criteria that I use when I'm evaluating a throwback paint scheme. Yeah, the thing. Do you have analyticals? 
Do you have uh, analytics I on should. it? I really should. Loop <laughs> data and everything. Anyway, the things I look oh, for, the, the right sponsor. It's got, it's got to be the right sponsor. And I understand maybe those sponsors aren't back in the sport um, or they're not available for that team. But in that instance, at least that the sponsor plays ball with modifying the logo to make it look like the original. An example of that would be FedEx changing their logo to look more like Daryl Walsh's Western Auto logo, uh, or this year with uh, ASE changing their logo to look a little bit more like UPS for the Dale uh, Dale Jarrett throwback. Um, The next one I look for is the right number. Um, Again, we can't always have the same number, but if, if nothing else, change the font of the number to match the original one. Uh, so, for example, this year, Chase Elliott running an Alan Kowicki throwback. He's got the right sponsor. He's got Hooters on the car. That's great. They've already been a sponsor for the nine car. It's a natural fit for an Alan Kowicki throwback. But they didn't just go with the normal copyrighted nine that they run week in and week out. They modified the font on Chase Elliott's nine car to look more like Alan Kowicki's number seven. I think that was a great move, and I really like Chase Elliott's Hooters Alan Kowicki throwback. Um, Spire Motorsports with the seven and Xerox, another Alan Kowicki throwback, a great, outstanding throwback this year. Now, for some swings and some massive misses, two of them from Joe Gibbs Racing. One, Denny Hamlin, Sport Clips. Uh, throw- if I didn't see this as a, you know, next to the original paint scheme that they're supposedly throwing back to, I wouldn't recognize it as a throwback at all. Everything is off. Sports Clips didn't modify their even the font on their logo to try and match the original sponsor. They didn't change the number 11 to match the font of the 18 of the car that they were supposedly throwing back to. Big swing and a miss from Denny Hamlin. Another one, Martin Truex Jr. Auto Owners Insurance trying to throw back to the Furniture Row Racing number 78. Everything is wrong with that one. Sure, the car's flat black, but everything else is off with it. I understand that Auto Owners has a logo, and they probably paid a graphic designer a lot of money to come up with it. But for a throwback weekend, there should be a little bit of flexibility here. Change the font. Change the color on the 19. So instead of the Auto Owners kind of aqua green, run that 78 orange, yeah, day glow orange they used to run on the 78. This would be a great opportunity. Instead of having the Auto Owners round logo on the hood, just big block letters, auto owners. And I think that would have conveyed the throwback to Furniture Racing a lot more. And I think a well-executed throwback, it gains in publicity from a well-executed throwback much more than it loses by not using the specific sponsor corporate branding every year. So those are some of my examples of the throwbacks that I really like and a couple that I really don't. Okay. Uh, I'm with Jay. I'm not quite as... uh technical about it as Mike is. Uh, I like them all. I think the whole weekend is such uh, the part of the excitement of the whole weekend is to see all the different uh, paint schemes. In fact, I haven't really looked at a lot of the paint schemes uh, because I look forward to seeing them the race weekend and everything and uh, seeing what they are. I'm trying to scan through a few now, but uh, I just think the whole concept is the winning combination here, and I don't really have a favorite. I think I think it's really great that, you know, some teams put in more effort than other teams, but I think everybody um, tries to do what they can do 
to do a, a nice throwback for this weekend. And I think uh, it's the concept that gets me more excited than anything else. And then watching on race day uh, those paint schemes as they come out there on the track uh, and race the race. So uh, I know that uh, Jeb and, and uh, Harrison are honoring their dads, Ward and Jeff, uh, so from an emotional level, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing those two uh, uh, cars out on the track. But other than that, yeah, I, I just I look forward to seeing all of them out there on the track. So, Tommy, do you have some favorites that you want to talk about? Well, Mike, uh, I actually like the 9 and the 7 car, too. Those are my two favorites because I have a Alan Kawicki 7 one just like Chase Elliott is doing. So um, I don't have the Xerox but I do have Johnny Benson's number 10 Xerox, and um, maybe one day whoever is driving that 10 car, Eric Almirola maybe can run it, or maybe Judge Jeb Burton next year, in the, or wherever he's at if he's in it. But um also wanted to add William Byron's 24 Valvoline. Eric Almirola's doing a Winn-Dixie Mark Martin 60 throwback that I liked uh, from the Bush series with flames it looks really cool and then ricky stenhouse is doing a tide throwback for the 32 car from back in the early 2000s and then uh eric jones is doing an stp john andretti that i liked and justin algar in the bush series is doing a dale earnhardt number three throwback but um the red tasmanian devil i believe i, I really like that paint scheme too um but i'm actually like mike also i'm a bit skeptical I really, I mean, I, I like the throwback idea and everything too, but I'm a little bit disappointed in some of the paint schemes this year. Also, I feel like I'm not seeing as many as the, the throwbacks like Mark Martin and Neil Bonnet's Valvoline and all that stuff. And I'm just seeing stuff like Ryan Blaney's old uh, Arca car from like 2011 or something. I mean, it, they can run what they want, and I'm happy either way, but I'd rather would have seen him do like a third back to Jeremy Mayfield or something or or Bobby Allison, whoever drove the 12th car for back in the day. I like that idea better. Okay. Jay? Mike, I know you're a busy man, but you got to get yourself a hobby. Uh, you got you got a valid point. Uh, Sharon said it. Some of them do put more into it in matching up. And if I were to look at it truthfully, you know, when it comes down to it, the ones I say I like, maybe in a, I don't think about it that thoroughly, but I like this one more than the other. That probably does have something to do with it of how closely they did match up, whether it be the colors. Obviously, the sponsor may not be possible, but the actual paint scheme, the number, and things like that. And that may play in. I guess I just don't break it down to that level of why. Um so there are ones that, that certainly do do a better job of, of matching up. And like Tommy said, maybe even some of the ones that the options that were there, but the only answer I got to that is if you're the one paying the bill, you get to do it how you want and somebody else is paying that bill. So I'll just have to appreciate it for what it is. Okay. Your follow up, Mike. 
Well, if I was going to give a best in show, Tommy just mentioned it. I would say Eric Jones's John N. Jetty throwback. Not only is it almost a perfect representation of the car that he's throwing back to, they've got the right sponsor, they've obviously got the right number, but also losing John Andretti last year, I think it's a great tribute to a, a great driver and even greater person that we just recently lost. So I would say for me personally, my best in show is Eric Jones in the 43 car. Uh, worst in show. Uh, another one that Tommy mentioned. Um, I would say the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, the picture that they put up next to it of supposedly what they're throwing back to happened to be an orange car with Tide on the hood. It was an actual Tide car versus their blue car that has a Tide logo on the rear quarter panel. Um, I feel a warm stream hitting my leg, and somebody's telling me it's raining. That is not a throwback. Ricky Stenhouse is my worst in show. <laughs> I didn't see that. I didn't. I didn't see the part where it was blue. I just thought it was a tie throwback because of the picture, but <laughs> it was pretty good. Okay. Uh, well, I don't have a best and worst in show, so I guess I'll uh, let Tommy wrap it up. <laughs> um. I would go with the ZRX or the 9 being best in show, but I like that 43 car, too. It's definitely a tie for those three, because those are the true throwbacks. And William Byron's Neil Bonnet um, Valvoline. Yeah, I will say I tend to like those older ones. Uh, they're, they're a lot of fun to see uh, on the track, like you mentioned Neil Bonnet and, and uh, you know, some of those guys. Uh, those are fun to see. Okay, uh, we're at the top of the hour, so it's time for us to wrap things up. Uh, let's go ahead and do our roundtable, and Tommy, we'll start with you. Uh, you can follow me on the at NASCAR fan since 95. Um, still new to that. It's only a couple weeks old, so hit the follow button if y'all are listening. And um, I've only got a few tweets out there, but they're mostly paint scheme related since it was coming to Darlington. So, but um, they're good uh, throwbacks. It's the 10 Johnny Benson Xerox car and the number three Dale Earnhardt multicolored car. Okay, Mike, you're next. That's yeah, Mike underscore Rizel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, latest and greatest article is still that Talladega fan at the track article. If you haven't checked it out, give it a good read. I'll figure out something else to write here sooner or later. Maybe I'll try and put my objective paint screen criteria onto paper. Uh, but, man, that's, that's going to be a novel. So I, I don't know. Uh, maybe I can make some sort of a joint uh, metric and analytics uh, thing regarding paint schemes of Owen, uh, some sort of a joint venture there, uh, the two most scientific minds in the fan for racing game. I don't know. I'll keep you posted. Okay, Jay. I got I got nothing because Mike took it from me. I was going to say I was looking. There, right? Yeah, no, I, w I was looking forward to an article that obviously needs to be written on how to do the appropriate throwback scheme. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on uh, Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, just looking forward to all the throwback paint schemes, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, I, I do like the fact that we've seen it. All the teams are doing something, whether it's a, a good one or not. Well, that was the other thing I wanted to say. I, was, I was, wasn't a, a whole lot shocked. One of the favorites for Mike was a, a Chase Elliott Hendrick Motorsports one. 
and the negative one was on Ricky Stenhouse. That seems to be every race, no matter what it's about. So <laughs> he's consistent. We, we look for consistency in NASCAR. Mike's consistent. Hey, buddy, I had uh, I actually was eating a, I was eating a plate of Hooters wings when we started this thing too. So not only do I support the team by cheering for them on TV, but I eat their food too. There we go. Oh boy. All right, uh, I am fan for racing on uh, fan for racing site on Twitter and fan for racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforacing.com where you see the articles from our writers. And uh, we did get uh, a recap from uh, Sam this week. Also, uh, Owen has been in finals, uh, studying for finals and doing finals. So uh, I look for him to be back on track coming up this next week. And uh, then, uh, uh, I don't know, you guys are working on some other articles, and we'll see what comes my way. And uh, we'll take it from there. But... uh, Definitely uh, looking forward to the races this weekend. A big shout-out to all of our listeners. We do appreciate each and every one of you uh, for tuning in. And uh, also to our Fan for Racing crew. Uh, It's always a lot of fun doing the radio show and our Fan for Racing fantasy group. So uh, thanks to everybody for all that you do. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll look forward to being back again on Monday. Uh, I'm having a hard time finding guests uh, for Monday night because of the iRacing that's taking place. Everybody's uh, busy doing iRacing that night, which makes it hard for them to be on the show. So we'll see what we can come up with, but we're working on it. We might have to do a pre-recorded interview in order to make it happen. We'll see what we can do. Uh, But Mason Diaz will be on on Thursday night at 8.40 next week, so uh, definitely looking forward to that as well. So with that, we're ready to call it a night, guys, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the other side. Night, everybody. Enjoy the weekend. Okay, good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.